Okay. I'm number six, and this is TNP Live. And I'm here with TNP contributor Lisa Belanger. We may be uh, joined by TNP contributor Chris Graves in a little while. And shout outs to John Henry. Um, now, this week's monologue. What a strange reality we live in today, my friends. In a reality that's mostly unreal. From the images on your screens to the words of the characters on them, the stories we are told by our government are constructed to make things seem real, which are not. These realities are distorted and stretched to fit a greater narrative that allows the powers that be to maintain a stability, at least of sorts, to let the war machine continue to profit for the banks, to let the insiders make their moves, and to keep you as far away from that reality as possible, arguing over other things. Like aliens, for instance. We are given a sliver of information, and people run to tell others the exciting new truth. That truth is that another government official told us something that they have no evidence to show us, along with some secondhand accounts. Does the oath this person took guarantee that he can explain reality? Listen, I want to believe too, but I don't trust any member of a group that swears to keep secrets from and deceive another group, especially when it's a military versus its own people. Born in the 80s, I was subjected to tons of militaristic propaganda all in favor of the big baby face America that won the greatest war ever and was going to win the Cold War with the help of a guy called the Gipper. Was it really the cunning strategic moves of a guy with dementia that toppled our great communist enemy? But maybe the only true part of that statement involved his wife, Nancy, assisting his hand in signing some documents in between cartoons. I found out many years later, that the collapse was economic and that ours was delayed because the banks cooked the books for us. Our currency is built on confidence. And that confidence is in the fact that we'll bomb the shit out of anyone we're told to. We'll create viruses, we'll experiment on people, and we'll lie about all the consequences until things collapse. And when they do, the banks are there to save the day by printing more money for us. Our country is nothing but a sugar baby. Bounces our big bombs around for daddy war bucks. That's why Trump, Biden, RFK Jr. will say the same fucking things about Israel and Palestine. That's why they'll never expose our strategy to lure Russia into conflict in Ukraine. That's also why they'll never tell you the truth about the virus or vaccine program that the military developed because that would threaten the security of the nation. And you know what? They're somewhat correct. The realization of your government being one of the most vile and heinous entities that have ever existed on planet Earth, and the fact that most of us at one point have cheered them on is disruptive. It shakes people from the social stigmas that usually accompany outside of the box thinking. It gives them power and purpose and something a ruling class like we have now doesn't want. 
So who gets to control reality? Well, I have researchers and authors that will tell you that controlling the reality of the past is nearly impossible, that the interpretations, mostly lack of knowledge, can shape and distort a historical event to the extent of it being senseless. Bullets that defy the laws of physics, and buildings too. There's no shame in the game of our bank-backed military captors when it comes to their explanations of the atrocities that they themselves created. They will never tell us where the virus really came from under oath. They will never tell us that our wars are a lie and that they will never tell us the truth about aliens because it exposes the web of lies keeping this country as it is. Controllable, stable, and docile. Our little, one little lie, unraveling, can send the whole thing into a spiral that when unwound would show you the true horror of our reality. And like some people like me after a night of partying would rather pretend all the bad shit we did wasn't real. Well, in a world of high-tech deep fakes, a government that can use courts, doctors, and the police to enforce their own reality, and while existing in a constant war state, wonder if what sort of lying that allows, the most consistent reality exists among us here today because we're willing to question it. You all listening help make people's stories real because you experience these things too. You know your government lies to you, and that's why you come here. You want to wake up others to the fact, so you share videos like this. And you come back week after week because you know this is the place for folks like us to meet, where we can agree on the reality that we've been presented isn't real and create our own based on logic and morality. You all listening make it real for us all by being here today and exploring these stories with us. Thank you all for the support for real. And that's this week's monologue. Now, Lisa, how you feeling today? Good morning. <laughs> How do I feel? Come on. Well, you know, listen, I'm going to be very grateful. I'm going to have gratitude. But other than that, I'm 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 usually my cantankerous self. So yes. I, I that that's a positive thing, right? Well, you know what? I enjoy it. Um, when it comes to your delivery, Lisa, and as we talked about sometimes, you know, when you're spoiling people's realities, um, people can get upset. People can get a little touchy. Uh, they, they, they don't like being jarred out of the unreal uh, world that they live in. And sometimes uh, cantankerous or whatever type of uh, descriptor that you want to attach to it. But sometimes a person with your attitude, Lisa, needs to just, you know, break that glass. <laughs> but, but you know what, though? Wake them up. I'm so misunderstood though, because it, and it's not because um, I do what I do because, oh, I like to, to um, be a shit stirrer, for lack of a better phrase. But because I'm truly trying to make a difference, 
I'm trying to help bring awareness, right? And well, and that's that's a threat. <laughs> that that is, I mean, if if you look at what we're gonna look at today, story wise, Lisa, that is a threat. Like that very action that you're trying your best to get other people to look critically at the things that are presented to us as reality. The, the people that want that unreality to stay in people's brains, to, to, to be their life. Um, yeah, they're not, they're not going to take kindly to that. I don't think, you know, that's, that's why we're shadow banned. Um, that's why we have threats of bans, you know, even for posting hot dog emojis, which at least I think, cause they don't, they don't tell you shit. Um, that's why we're banned off of YouTube for sure. Um, but you know, the, 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 all those, all those things add up too. like, there's a, there's sort of a, uh, you, you talk about synergy, right? So you, there is a synergistic effect between you questioning things and participating in the different shows and the different, um, networks, uh, all in the alternative media, um, that, that we mess around with here at the new prisoners. And, um, I, I think that that's, that's helpful. It's healthy. Um, we were sort of talking about it off air like that, you know, I had, uh, I had the wonderful chance of, uh, being on uh, a show called Liberty Conspiracy. Uh, it's hosted by our friend Gar Goldsmith. And I, I loved having that conversation. I didn't want that conversation to end. Like I, I felt bad. I, I, I could have dragged Gard into another hour and a half worth of conversation about what we talked about, um, if given the opportunity at least. And um, he's just such an interesting and fascinating person to talk to and has such great experiences to share and uh, just a depth of depth of knowledge where, you know, our, fr our friend Angry Tiger uh, says that he's the man with two brains, you know, so. Oh, man, it, it, it definitely, I mean, I really, really enjoyed that show. Um, mm -hmm. Cerebral, but yet, uh, but, but very something that everybody can understand. It was not, I mean, very uh, down to earth conversation. So it was, you know. Well, I felt really comfortable talking to guard because guard and I have a lot of affinity for the, you know, the types of things that uh, sort of brought us to this dance, you know, if it being you know, creativity or outside of the box thinking, if it's music, if it's, you know, uh, pop culture stuff, you know, guard and I, you know, got, you know, originally in contact with one another because of the show, The Prisoner, which I took my uh, name from here and then also uh, used some of the, the imagery earlier on in this show uh, of. But, you know, I wanted to make that imagery sort of my own after a while because I'm no I'm no Patrick McGoo and I, I wish I, I wish that I was maybe more like him, uh, maybe more disciplined or more faithful or you know what, what how he presented himself at least and what i've been able to gather outside of the the prisoner show too in interviews and other things like i i, I wish i had more of those characteristics but we you need know, to I, do a watch along of that show oh absolutely yeah we're i i i actually uh did mention that um as some of the things that maybe we should do in the near future together whenever i talk to guard so i would love to get him involved in that um uh, we have a couple other friends i think they would be great um, additions to that crew as well so yeah we'll have to work out maybe an evening or something like that uh where we all get together and do that um and it it, it would just be a blast and hopefully we can get um a lot of people in the audience involved in it too uh i would like to see that
I don't know if it's something that we we could broadcast because of the rights and everything. And I'm still kind of funky about that here on Rumble. Like Rumble is our number one streaming platform as as we exist right now. Uh, so I don't know necessarily what their rules are for you know when it comes to copyright stuff. Now I have been able to watch uh, a lot of React videos um before on other platforms where people sort of watch a music video and you can sort of faintly hear the music and you see the music video but it's like in a tiny square so because it's not the majority of what's being presented um, i guess they get by with it and um maybe we just have to sort of talk to somebody or even like kind of tinker with some things maybe even do like a test run uh, before I'd want to lock in anything serious. But yeah, the watch along concept is something that we've been batting around for a while, folks. Um, there's just so much out there, though, that <laughs> that I would want to watch with my friends here, uh, that I would, would, would want to watch with all of you and add analysis and, you know, and, and just uh, have a conversation about the topics in, in some of the episodes, especially of The Prisoner. Like there's so much there philosophically to explore. But uh, yeah, the, I mean, time's a nasty bitch whenever it comes to that, though. Just like figuring out <laughs> when all of us are going to be available and who's all going to be involved, too. Just like anything else we try and plan around here at the show. So, but um, um, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you know, sh send a big uh, thank you to Guard for having me, though. Um, it, it's, it's a pleasure getting to uh, meet people like him and, and meet people like him right off the bat when I first started doing this, like I had no audience or had no like even idea of how I wanted to format this show. Uh, I knew I wanted to use the the prisoner imagery and everything that had been decided at that point. But when I made contact with guard the first time I had, I really had, I think I maybe had a couple shows um, posted, but they were like the really earlier on ones. They were, you know, audio only. We didn't have guests. We didn't. You know, I, mean, I, I had a stack of papers because you know I, I was watching David Knight and what he does, and like uh, other people and what they do when they gather all their information. You know, so I, I wanted oh, to have. Oh man, David, he brings it, man. I'm telling you. Oh yeah, Ooh, and, I don't know. Just... Three hours every well Monday through Friday, at least. But shout out to his printer, you know, because <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> Whenever I first started doing this, I'm like, all right, well, I had I had one screen going. So and with that challenge is, is that, you know, if you're going to record and monitor everything all on one screen and then but also have all your sources on that screen too, like flipping back and forth can be a little difficult and uh, you might mess some things up. And I, I, was, I was worried about that. So I wanted to print out all the articles I'd read. Now, what the one article that I printed out the one time, like from Whitney Webb, who does pretty awesome work, and you know she gets she gets plenty of accolades from all of our friends. Um, I had one of her articles about the origins of COVID, and like this this article that went into Alex Carp and all these other strange characters, uh, Peter Thiel, uh, and and just it was like ten pages, you know, <laughs> print like I just have like a solid booklet printed out. By the time I was done with just that one article. Oh, and I back feel then the, we didn't I do the, feel the pain on that. <laughs> oh yeah, I would set aside like I would I would bookmark pretty much every important article that I saw during the week because I also watched a lot of um, Last American Vagabond back then. Uh, I, I still catch it occasionally now, but it's just so hard to keep up with everything. But I, I like the way that Ryan formatted his show because, like, sometimes like you, you would you would 
you know, turn on the live stream for Ryan's show and you would look at the top of his screen and the top of his screen would be so packed with links <laughs> that I don't even know he, how he found anything <laughs> or could even open things without accidentally closing them, which is also a nightmare. Like how his computer survived even like how, how his stuff didn't crash. <laughs> and I'm oh, sure it man. did on, on certain occasions, but you know, he just had like a stack of information that he would get to. And, and so like those, those people like David and, and Ryan, they, they just have, they have that ability to just compile all that information and squeeze it out of themselves, like within three hours, roughly. Like sometimes Ryan will go a little bit longer and everything, but David really sticks to a good format. Um, see, I, def I definitely need the, the paper too. I mean, I just. Yeah, there is psychologically, there's something reality based about it, isn't there? Like, well, I, I think that's been studied too. Like with something's just, and I think uh, Steve Poinkin was talking about this on AM Wake Up this week. Shout out to that, that show. That's fucking awesome. Um, I, I think that whenever somebody writes creatively, uh, Steve was explaining that when you when you want to sit down and you really want to put something out that's like from the heart, um, that you sit down with pen and paper. Now, it's been somewhat of a challenge for me to move from that mindset over to just sitting down and typing out these monologues each week because um, I usually sit down uh, any time between like 8.30 and 9 and then just type out what's on my mind. Now, fortunately, most of the week, I'm already churning this stuff through my brain. Like I already kind of know what I want to get out in, in the monologue, but I, it doesn't necessarily come in, in, into any shape or form until like right before we go on air. Um, I like that format because I think that that's more like true to like the original or initial like thing that I wanted to get out of me. I'm not going back and trying to refine it or fact check it or anything. Um, sometimes I'll pull up a browser and just be like, did I spell that shit right? You know, <laughs> it's going to look like an idiot. Uh, and also speaking of uh, today's title for the show. Yeah, I didn't have like an episode or anything and I didn't forget how to spell uh, it's it's in reference to a, a song by a band called Slade, uh, who is really, really influential on heavy metal. Because if you've ever heard the song Come On, Feel the Noise by a band called Quiet Riot. Okay, who uh, hasn't heard that? Come on. I mean, it, everybody it, has to have heard that one. Oh, absolutely. Even I, even I know that song. <laughs> and, and what's crazy about it is, is that, you know, that being a cover, that it the cover was never meant to be like sort of on the record uh they were uh, uh quiet riot was uh you know uh proposed this uh idea of covering slade and uh, if you listen to the vocal styles of like the lead singer of quiet riot versus the lead singer of slade you could see why they were just like oh i bet you these guys would kill this song because it's like the same types of gimmicks it's like this same vocal range and then you you add like a modern tone to it you know, at the time uh, of Quiet Riot, um, I could see why it became popular. And it wasn't like a big single over in the States too. That was uh, really like something that would be obvious, like where people would be like, oh, this is their version of that. It was like almost, it was like a new song to people in the US. So when that song kicked on, like it became a number one hit single in, in the heavy metal category. Like nobody had ever thought, and like you asked like most metal heads that say that, this, this shit was never meant to be paint mainstream. Like the, the fact that you have a song that, that that's that iconic now where like it's in those little 
bears that you'll see at like a, a Dollar General where you press its paw and it'll dance for you and it'll sing that song. Like it's that kind of over, you know, where it's so fucking popular and commercialized. Um, but it launched a, a new uh, sort of demographic in the United States when it came to like mainstream media. You know, and it was appealing did, towards metal fans. You know who just did that type of thing too, <clears throat> which is kind of tangential to our uh, conversation. And I can't remember. Is it's a country western or pop country star who uh, covered Tracy Chapman's fast car. Oh, I just recently heard about that. Let me uh, look up a uh, fast car cover. You know what's so funny? Every time my husband hears it when we're driving, you know, I really like the song, right? Luke Combs. Luke Combs covers okay. it. Yeah. Sorry, uh, folks. I'm not up on my pop country as much, but I've I've heard of this scandal of sorts, but I don't know anything about it. But I love, I really love that song. And Tracy Chapman did it. But here's the thing. It really is a woman's song. And but that 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 you know that a guy did it, I don't know. My husband just like wants me to turn the channel. <laughs> he can't get over the. It's like he just can't handle the fact that a guy is singing it because it just doesn't jive. I don't know. Well, I gotta tell you. I mean, there's there's certain songs uh, sang from a woman's perspective that I've heard guys cover, and it's it's awkward at times. Uh, one of the examples was. Um, this goes back many, many years, but I got to see Jackson Brown and Bonnie Raitt on tour together. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that. I love Jackson Brown. And Bonnie sings a song called Angel from Montgomery, which if, I mean, it, it, I don't listen to a shit ton of country music, okay? I, I like a lot of the outlaw stuff, of, of course. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to like a woman country singer, that sings a song that's important to me like this this song is earth moving like it is such an emotional like type of song like the lyrics are beautifully written the, the perspective that it's from is so easy to kind of digest and to take on um but and, then and i when, love bonnie too because she i mean man because she, she really she's got that voice that's great you know what i mean oh yeah you, and she hustled it. for it too like she grinded for years um, in the music scene and, and things before she had her big hits and everything was given her props, you know, given her flowers, as they say nowadays, as the fucking kids say. But um, no, I mean, I, I think with um, with Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown, when they covered that song live, um, it, it got to the verse that they were trading back verses and they, they traded it to Jackson Brown saying, I'm a little girl. That's like the first line <laughs> in the verse. <laughs> and, the, and the whole crowd's like, ah, he's a little girl. And they're like all pointing and shit, and everyone's laughing and having a good time with it. And, and that was just like, but comedy, like humor is the way to do it, right? When you come across yeah. across those absurdities. <laughs> and really, the I mean, the, the fact that the song really hones in on what it's like to be like maybe like, like a small town old woman that lives in a house that lives a very kept life that somebody like a, a worldly Jackson Brown that's been all over the, the, the world and, you know, made millions of dollars playing music can identify with. It, it's really uh, this, two, they're diametrically opposed, right? That <laughs> somebody, somebody in, in Brown's position couldn't possibly understand a, a woman in that other position. But I think that that shows you 
the power of music and connecting people's realities to one another. That if you write a good enough lyric and story in a song, that somebody completely opposite of that will be able to jump in and vicariously live that life for three to five minutes usually. Absolutely. And then that's why that's why I do not mind that Luke sings the song personally, but because he you know, if you're gonna do a cover, you know, of that song, he really from a from a country perspective, I think he does a really good job, but you know, who am I to say? What do I know? Well, and and that's the thing too, like it I mean, there's different schools of thought when it comes to country. Like if if you're going by, you know, sort of what the ethos of, I guess, what like a Hank three would be, uh, Hank Williams the third, um, I, I could see him, you know, turning his nose up at maybe some things like that. That it's just like, you know, what you come out here swinging with three chords of the in the truth, like it doesn't matter what the song's about. It's from the heart. Um, you know, you're gonna make it jump either way, um, but. Also, there's there's a, a business end of country music. Uh, there, there's there's the types that were just you know maybe they don't come up with as much themselves creatively, but they can sure as hell play an instrument. So I mean, you have those Nashville you know types of players that are world renowned. I mean, for someone like me that's tinkered around with a guitar, <laughs> maybe knows what the fuck one is at the time at least um you know going to a, a place like nashville where there's studio players and there's even you know, it's called in, in music lisa there's something called nashville changes you know where you know the it's a way of communicating uh the musical changes to one another rather in a in a recording or live setting too like that just shows you like that's how important musicians from that area are that they have terminologies named after them so when you go there, I mean, it is it's kind, of, it is kind of intimidating in a way, <laughs> you know, because you walk into a music shop, you don't know if the guy sitting behind the counter has been on countless, you know, hit records. It, it's so crazy. Like the studio work these guys get and what they get paid to do it and not paid to do it sometimes. But, you know, the, if you wanted an absolute murderer on guitar or bass or drums or keys and s- stuff like that, I mean, Asheville's one of the places to go. Um, and then you have... Also, because of the money made, like the Taylor Swifts and whatever the fuck else that they're pumping out these days. Yeah, exactly. Harlan says, country my ass. <laughs> thank you, Harlan, for being here. <laughs> and uh, and Rescue, Rescue Dog, thank you for being here, too. She says, let's give them something to talk about. Yeah, that is a jam, too. Uh, that's, what, that's what really made Bonnie and brought her um, sort of into the, the more of the limelight, I'd say, uh, that single. And uh, oh, yeah. What's up, Zeister? Uh, good to see you as well, brother. But uh, yeah, we're talking about country not as much metal right now sorry <laughs> sorry sorry man no but uh no but with country music though because of the money made i mean you're also looking at some of the best i mean recording setups like recording studios uh equipment gear like especially when you're getting into some of like the vintage stuff like if you're looking for a particular tone you're tone chasing uh being in a nashville environment nashville music stores and those types of things if you like old fender guitars I have uh, to say, I went to the Chris Stapleton show, and yes, yes. he now now he really gave the sh- gave it a show. I'm telling you, unbelievable. I mean, really, I think because it transcends country. It's not just about country. Well, that's the good thing about any artist in any genre. 
like some of my favorite metal artists, you know, definitely transcend the genre of metal. Um, they may do so in composition, a lot of other things, not necessarily in popularity, but um, that is sort of like the 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 fun thing about it is that you can take a, a standard style of music, right? You can take a blues style, for instance, and then you get somebody like a, a Jimi Hendrix and just in the right moment in time and with the right type of technology and the right people surrounding him to make sure that he he was promoted and people knew his name, um, that that can change a blues style for forever. You know, that'll change a guitar solo forever and what one sounds like. Um, yeah, country plus rap equals crap. Thank, thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, so Kurt, Kurt Henning, uh, one, of the, one of the best wrestlers uh, from my upbringing. Uh, while he was in WCW, they had this whole group of, of guys that it was, that their whole gimmick was rap is crap. And they would make fun of rap music. Um, it, it was... It definitely wasn't like the best in taste. Like the stuff that they countered with wasn't didn't make them look like good guys. In fact, they were bad guys. Like people cheered them or, or booed them. I mean, um, but yeah, I, I've definitely heard that. I, myself, rap wise, I mean, I like I like a lot of I like to support indie guys, uh, especially those that do their production. Like our, our friend Erroneous Method, I, I like seeing people like that. They can pull uh rather music samples of their own or other people's you know from old records and stuff um big fan of uh tribe called quest and that type of stuff us three those records that you know they they were pulling old jazz cuts from and, and things of that nature because i grew up listening to uh a good bit of jazz as well and I, I played uh trumpet in school so um you know had had plenty of experiences with jazz and everything that's what got me into fusion and miles davis and those types of things and then eventually guys like al Miola and john mclaughlin you know like the the fusion guitar players because if you look at their work and like what they were doing composition wise that pretty much laid the groundwork and pushed the technology and the recordings and everything um into what modern metal guitar players play um, they were hyper influential on that sound. Like if you go back and listen to a Ma Vishnu orchestra record, or if you listen to some, uh, uh, I, we were having a good conversation uh, about, well, actually we, well, it was more or less Chris and Nature Boy on Chris's show, but then it extended to Twitter about how awesome Al Demiol is. But I posted the song uh, Race with the Devil on, the, on a Spanish Highway, um, which is a mouthful of a, a song title, but it, it sounds as, as badass as that imagery that, the title describes though like just the the shred at the beginning of that song any guitar player it makes you pause and go how the, how in the fuck are they doing that you know <laughs> like what what is he on and then you, like when you hear that kind of uh playing too it inspires you like any guitar any person that ever picked up the instrument that heard eruption by eddie van halen i mean come on like you want to you, you want to start tapping like you want to start you want to get your your amp you want to crank your gain level so you can get that kind of uh, that kind of gain. And then you find out that you're not going to get it without a, maybe an overdrive pedal or two, um, you know, or, or modding the amp itself and electrocuting yourself like he did. <laughs> RIP Eddie. <laughs> but, you know, people like that, people that dare to step out. I mean, it, it's, it's told really well in the lyrics of a Primus song. Uh, to defy the laws of tradition is a crusade only of the brave. 
that's their line and it's all uh, in the lyrics see that that's what separates the wheat from the chaff right well that too i mean i i i grew up with a lot of influence uh from my father's love of uh of singer songwriters so he got me into lyrics from you know bob dylan a lot of bob dylan uh neil young even though boo him these days right um <laughs> no they i know it all sound you know people that i really enjoyed but seriously like, like, you know you know neil may neil may be like uh you know a a, a chicken shit babe you know uh fucking baby bitch uh about pulling his stuff from from spotify even though he had his own musical platform that you know he was trying to launch like a higher quality audio format platform which i can't fault him for you know somebody that enjoys good production and good audio um i, I would like to see that, that lift off the ground but i don't think um positioning yourself against spotify over those types of things was a, really a good idea but i mean there's just something about the song like if you listen to ohio for instance like I remember getting like the big uh, double CD version of was it Decade? It was like his uh, his Neil Young's greatest hits, and it spanned all all throughout his career. You know, from uh, the early days of doing like Sugar Mountain shit like that, like all all the way through to you know some of his more modern hits. And um, the song Ohio just always meant something to me. Um, yeah, that's yep rescue dog that was the album yeah decade or decades yeah and and what was cool about it though is like i didn't live in that era where people were shot on you know that ohio campus that day like i i wasn't anywhere near that kind of lifestyle but my parents lived through that that era and my parents were sort of they're anti-war hippie type people go figure um and those, yeah, and and those experiences though that they, they that they told me, you know, of what it was like back then. That just like if you dressed like a hippie, if you had a peace patch on your jean vest, or you know, you had you had something going on with your hair that where it was it was longer, and you wore like you know, uh, you know the um, rose colored glasses, you know, like the John Lennon glasses or anything like that. You know, that you were subject to being pulled over um that people looked at you differently people feared you uh people would put up signs you know no hippies <laughs> that type of thing and uh later on in life you know i, I looked at that and I, I looked at you know the hippie side as like the good guys and you know going up against the the bad guy government that wanted war you know for whatever reasons oh yeah we see tom in the chat what's up tom good to see you brother but um you know, now that I look at it, and especially after talking to uh, people like Graves that have done research into this too, um, the the hippie movement itself, the way it was presented, you know, in mass media, the fact that people knew what a hippie was <laughs> and could define it, dress like it, buy the clothes to 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 do it, and and everything, and have access to that, especially back when there was like three fucking channels on TV, um. You know, it makes me scratch my head as to how organic that truly was, right? Um, you know, I, I don't think things are as organically produced as people assume that they are. Um, that's that's an eye opener about entertainment. That's an eye opener about culture. Uh, got the how people feel about government is that 
you know, we're ultimately controlled in a way by our access to information. You know, when we talk about reality here today, Lisa, like we have to acknowledge the fact that, you know, we can only react to the the reality-based stimuli that we're given, right? Um, if we're all that we're presented is lies from our government and lies about particular, you know, historical events and things, like I mentioned in the monologue and others, um, if all that we have to react to there is is lies, it, it's hard for us to discern what the actual truth or reality of these situations are. Like we're often left with more questions than anything, right? And that can also be very, I mean, that can be very defeating to people, especially people like myself that, you know, I, I, I sort of demand a certain sort of completion of understanding or order of that. And when you don't get that, when you don't get that prize, you know, in the Cracker Jack box of, of, of intellect at the end of this you know, practice, um, it's really, it, it can depress you. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very thankful that, you know, we have, you know, all the people around us to sort of help ask and answer these questions too. Um, that, that we have people that are participating, you know, participating um, in these conversations with us and sharing these conversations. I think that's super important. Um, and it's not just because it, it helps the channel, but it just helps people think, man. Like, I, I see people that, you know, they're confused by it. They don't know necessarily where the, they know that there's cracks in the facade, but they don't know how fucking deep they go. Um, and, and just, and Tiger's talked about this on his shows too, like to just run up to somebody like a manic street preacher and being like, did you know about building seven? Do you know that the government made the virus? And do you know that, the, <laughs> you know, all this stuff, like they just want to buy a hot dog, right? <laughs> they're, they're like the hot dog vendor and you ran up to him and you're telling them all this shit. You're like, they're like, okay, buddy, I'll give you a dollar. Just go the fuck away. Like, you know, you, you can't hit people at different times with that. Um, and, and also with that too, like, and I think that this ties into a lot of what Tiger talked about the other night with addiction too, because I listened to that episode. It was fucking awesome. Um, even though they had some technical gremlins, it was an amazing conversation because it, they were doing exactly what I'm talking about here is that you get a bunch of minds together that have experienced these things. And then you start to question what the reality of the situations is. And one of the things that they arrived at in that episode was, is that for some people sticking to a really strict guideline um, through a 12-step program and other things made that person a better person. For other people, maybe all they needed was uh, maybe a little bit of weed, <laughs> you know? And it just like that wasn't, <laughs> that, that wasn't like too controversial to say on that show though. Um, what was great about that conversation is, is that they were all able to acknowledge that it's, it's different strokes for different folks, baby. <laughs> like what works oh, for me that. and what, and what yeah well shout out to sly and the family stone <laughs> in the tv show too though <laughs> yeah also also a different type of band but also a, re a reality breaking band for people too i mean like for for someone like sly and the family stone to come out and hit people that hard with with rhythm um you know that that in itself brought people like my parents who are white uh, to a mostly black show to celebrate definitely i mean derivative of black music slave music everything 
like a way that a like a postmodernist would look at that, you know, and and see these two different groups of people, it erased those lines. The music was that powerful that it made sure that no matter what race you were, as long as you could bob your head or move your ass, Sly and the Family Stone was working for you. Like that's, you know, when, when you put things and people and others in boxes, when you try and rope them into a certain type of reality of their identity or, you know, their, where they come from or, or what, what race they are, what gender they are and all these other things too. Like that shit falls apart. Those are all those are all fake things you that know, we just even, attach to shit at times. Even the old Billy Joel, okay, used well, to I, used to have that ability. I don't know what happened to him, but I used to. Christy Brinkley happened to. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Say, you know, <laughs> the girl ruined it. It happens. It happens. I mean, just look at Yoko. Um, but. <laughs> No, with uh, with that though, I mean, it's just the way that music breaks all those different barriers that you can have uh, people that are like I like I was saying, complete opposites of that, be able to listen to it, understand it, and get with it. Um, you know, not all music does that. Not all music can do that. Um, I definitely don't expect some of the more extreme metal that I listen to to be like, you know, the thing that sort of wakes up. Uh, you know, some somebody in a completely different demographic than I am necessarily, um, because I know that those the, the importance and like the cultural aspects of that, like, you know, that the, there's no need necessarily for somebody that's, you know, that grew up in the era of like uh, Tracy Chapman and listening to that sort of music and like a Sarah McLaughlin, like you're probably not going to sell them on blast beats as much. <laughs> you know, well, I, you know, I had to say, yes. you know, this, this certain you. genre. Just nice music, yes, cattle, cattle decap for sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, Hannah, you know, she she listens to some really oh, different, yeah, she does. different music. But, mm -hmm. and, you know, I try because, you know, I mean, I'm eclectic. I, I love all kinds of music. Yes. But there is certain, certain ones that she listens to that just, as soon as she puts it on, I, I just, it's too, um, I don't know. I can't get past the, it's too agitating. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of it, I mean, there's a point to that. Like the, the frequencies that they choose and just like the, the type of vocal that's delivered. Um, especially when you're talking about somebody like Travis from cattle decap boy, is he a talented motherfucker? I mean, three octaves on this guy basically um and he can growl like he's a he's a demon in a horror movie and he can screech like a banshee too and just like the average person though that you took off the sidewalk and if you drag them into a cattle decap show and you made them watch that and be like this is one of the best singers in this genre that look at that and you'd go what the fuck is wrong with this guy <laughs> you know like you know but for me i'm just like i'm i'm in I, i'm in a it's it, i'm enthralled like everything i want to know how he does it i want to know like the the stuff the stuff that they're using on his voice if if anything and and just like i want to know what microphone he uses like it's just everything about that approach is so different and that's what's reality breaking about it to me like when it comes to more extreme forms of music especially and i think one of my main attractions to it is and we'll definitely talk about more of this i think on the uh um metal uh heavy metal conspiracy show which i think we're going to be uh doing august 12th 
around 8 p.m. So Saturday night, August 12th, around 8 p.m. Look for the heavy metal conspiracy party. Uh, we're going to do it in uh, in place of the uh, conspiring with Mr. Cooper on TMP that evening. So, But those guys will both be involved. Uh, we'll have Tom and Chris there. Uh, looking to have Tiger there, too. So we'll have the whole TMP crew, Lisa. You're always welcome to join, of course. Um, oh, yeah. And then oh, yeah. hopefully we can uh, break John Henry out of whatever type of uh, situation he's in in life and get him there, too. But, um, yeah, and maybe a couple of other friends of ours. I invited Guard to that. Hopefully he can make it. And there's some other boys I would love uh, to join us, too. But, um, yeah, the reality, the reality breaking of it, and one of the things about it is, is that, you know, when you observe music in most forms, it's there to sort of like it's it's in the background. It's somebody's like, you know, you go to the grocery store, they got some music going just so it's not like dead quiet and eerie in there or whatever. In the dentist office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get in the dentist's office and then, you know, you, you hear stuff like I, when I grew up, like my introduction to like pop music and everything like that was all around me, you know, with anything on television back then. And especially when I was young, like stuff like Michael Jackson and Bruce Springsteen and just like everything that was real popular in the early 80s, like you couldn't escape it. It was just everywhere around you on, on pop TV. I don't think until um, I heard Led Zeppelin's Cashmere on the radio is when I got into more heavier music. And there's a there's a funny thing about heavy, too, uh, for me. And this goes along with like music theory, too. That it's just it's not about the distortion or the screaming or even the tempo. Um, it, it's it's more about like the the total of the the approach of the lyric, like you said. Like there's there are songs that just they can sound just like a regular kind of singer songwriter strumming the acoustic guitar type of song, but when the lyrics come out, boy, that shit's heavy. Who you know. But like I have to say, even even instrumental though, I, I recently um, saw a, a movie. Uh, I think it was on Netflix. Ooh, ooh. I know I hate them, but I still did it. Uh, it was called um, oh, Ma. Oh, oh, I gotta I gotta find it. Well, Zeister brings up a 70s quintessential ELO, and fuck yes. Um, oh. Not only was uh, Mr. Blue Sky an awesome documentary about Jeff Lynne, um, but Jeff Lynne does some of the best fucking production, uh, in my opinion, on in that particular style. I love the way Jeff Lynne uh, records acoustic guitar. Like, the way that he recorded uh, the ELO guitars and the Beatles guitars and everything else that he was involved in production-wise, that whatever the technique or whatever fucking thing mike or whatever that dude does i need some of that in life because that, that those are the best sounding acoustics in my opinion um okay i found it it was ma rainey's black bottom ma rainey's black bottom yeah very bluesy it, was, it really okay. was it really was uh very interesting really All right it. yeah there's i mean that's that's the thing about it too like when you go back into blues especially um, you want to talk about heavy. I mean, some of the things that are talked about there and what was allowed to have been talked about and why they were allowed that too. Because like these guys weren't playing Carnegie Hall. I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan eventually got to, uh, which is an amazing fucking live record. <laughs> uh, Steve, yeah, SRV at Carnegie Hall. Definitely go check that out. No, Stevie um, Ray Vaughan. R.I.P., oh, yeah. man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And for someone that, that 
you know, had conquered his addiction issue too, I believe before he passed, like that was just another type of saddening type of thing. You see someone conquer one mountain and get taken out by the next one, but um, such is life. Right. But uh, you know, for, for something like blues, blues wouldn't have existed if it weren't for what America did to black people, <laughs> you know, to be honest, I mean, and, and, and hear me out too. It's not just like the, the slavery and the mistreatment of black people. It's because like in their own culture, um, the places where you would go to listen to that type of music, like the juke joints and the places in the Chitlin circuit and things of that nature, those were houses of ill repute. That was like house of the rising sun, you know, type of shit in real life, right? Like these, these types of places where these are... Dude, these are poor rural farm workers or industrial workers eventually up in Chicago. But, you know, the, the types of people that would inhabit those places, like you're, you're looking at pimps and prostitutes and you're looking at hard drinking, uh, you know, drinking a bottle of whiskey when you wake up type of motherfuckers. And, you know, they, they worked hard. They had hard jobs and they lived hard lives and their hands were, you know, mangled and but strong. And and they could grip like these old acoustic guitars that had terrible fucking setups and you know, what you know, chicken wire for strings and everything, and and just but play their soul out in it though, like find a groove and find a tempo and just you know, howl literally <laughs> if you're howling wolf, right? Like howl literally about you know the things that pain them, and you could only do that in a place that was a shithole. <laughs> you couldn't do that in pop. You couldn't come out on TV and and have a song like that be popular. It wasn't it like people would worry that people would worry about what that would do to the populace of just understanding that type of pain. Nobody wants yeah, nobody wants to feel that realness. Nobody wanted anything to do with that. The only people that wanted anything to do with that were the people that were living it at the time. You know, because they could feel what that person was really saying. They were they they weren't just living it vicariously, they were there. And only until we shipped all those cheap ass blues records over to the UK where they could be picked up at like the, the version of a Goodwill or whatever the fuck it was over there at the time for people like Mick Jagger to go to. And then all of a sudden we started to see a reflection coming back at us from another angle that looked at that music and found that realness in it and went, I need some of that. <laughs> you know, I want to do that. I don't want to sing like, I held your hand, little girl, you're so cute, blah, blah, blah. Like it went from that to just like straight up swing, you know, like, you know, this, this is like a slave groove with a, 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 a church chorus uh, with, with a banger of a, of a melody to it too, that, that that's inspired by everything from Bach, you know, to um, Hank Williams. And then you, you get rock and roll. Like, and, and it, without that meld of like the worst, dirtiest, seediest, nastiest part of, of somebody's culture becomes just another pop song after a while, like all that heart and soul and all that. Yeah. The, the, you posted here, at least I'll pull this up for the, the source list for sure. But just like how people like Robert Johnson may have even sold their soul you know, to, to the devil uh on the cross at the crossroads at midnight uh to make that music happen but you you can you, you can pop up the sound you can take the culture out of the music and make it part of an industry 
But when you go back in history and you listen to that old music, it's undeniable. The soul in it, there's something different to it. Um, there's something that really resonates, and especially if you've suffered. And I'm not going to complain sitting here today, folks. I have not suffered in the ways that any of these folks that written any of these great blues records had suffered. I know that. But if you can identify with suffering, then you can let your brain sort of fill in the rest for you and let it tell that story when you explore it further. You know, when you look at what the person's saying and imagine you you working that that type of job and coming home and finding out that your wife had cheated on you. Or if you, uh, you know, have a blues song about how you're being chased by hellhounds, <laughs> you know, that maybe, maybe you don't feel that way all the time, you know, but when you think that, you know, something is, is certainly a, a demon of yours or, or whatever uh, type of consequences for some of the actions that you've taken, that something's coming for you, there are universal truths out there. You know, and it doesn't matter what angle it comes from. It doesn't matter what voice that voices it or the frequency uh, in which they decide or how many beats per minute the song is. If you can, if you can nail that, that shit's heavy to me. Like there's just, there's unbelievably heavy blues songs. Now there is, there is a feeling of heavy though. Like, um, there's just something about like the movement in music and it can be in the melody or it can be in the rhythm, but there's something that happens where just like there's a natural sort of movement and flow to the human body. And to me, like heavy also exists in like something that has like when you listen to a piece of music and it has a flow to it in which you could like hit a heavy bag too in a consistent manner or, you know, pump like a weight too, you know, like lower a bench press to your chest and push it back up to like that particular tempo or pull a deadlift. Like there's just certain motions that are within music and it doesn't have to be metal. Billy doesn't. There's, there's, there's some amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like heavy Depeche Mode. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Um, but um, yeah. And that's also uh, something too, that I found that it's uh, really awesome uh, about what we do here in podcasting is that, you know, we can have really lighthearted conversations uh, we don't have to make everything about everything that's disgusting about our world, although we could easily. There's plenty of material out there, folks. Um, that's why we also have a big four, because uh, I could be here all day. <laughs> I could be here all day. <laughs> we never run out of material, that's for sure. Um, we don't have that to worry about. But you know, on the on the creative side of it, though, like to make something palatable you know, where people can enjoy it, but also get those heavy moments out of it, like that heavy reflection. And like to, to be able to hopefully heal. I mean, and unfortunately, owed oh. to uh, Sinead O'Connor. Damn. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, it, she did one of the best modern covers too with uh, Nothing Compares. As, that was a great Prince cover. One of the rare Prince covers that you would have heard too while that man was alive. Um yeah, he. From what I've heard, uh, Prince was not a huge fan of people covering his shit. Um, I remember when the Darling Nikki uh, Foo Fighters cover came out back in the day, and you had to go on to like a LimeWire or something like that to get it because it wasn't it was not approved for sale. Uh, I heard because of how Prince felt about it and everything. But you know, I mean, with with Prince being gone now, you can go back and listen to that whole 
different uh category of you know things that he covered from like just like traditional funk to all the electronic influence and all this other stuff they had to deal with but um i really like the song new world by prince um i think it's off of emancipation if i'm not mistaken um i might be mistaken on that so somebody correct me if i am but um the song new world uh if you go and read the lyrics to that uh i think i discussed this with silas guth here back in the day when when, when we had him on is that you know the the song new world if you read the lyrics is just like how did Prince know about transhumanism before they even announced what transhumanism was? <laughs> like, how did he clearly define what our future was going to be in a song uh, long before that anyone like a Noah uh, Harari was was out blathering about it on a TED talk? <laughs> really freaky, really, really freaky. But um, Lisa, let me pull up these uh, things that you uh, sent over for this week's source list. You sent um, long-haired freaky people. <laughs> yes, yeah, long-haired freaky people need not apply. That's the song that, that came to mind there for sure when I was uh, going on about that. So thank you, Lisa. We'll, we'll attach that to this week's source list. Um, and then I'm also going to, yeah, it's from the five-man electrical band. So that's, a, that's one that would be a rough one for me. I didn't know. Uh, necessarily, I don't think off the top of my head who wrote that song. Um, so shout out to, yeah. Um, and then this goes in, yeah, this is from that you pulled up the National Blues Museum too. I'm going to include that too about Robert Johnson so people can check that out. And then uh, you said farewell to Sinead O'Connor, music legend remembered. Oh, oh, maybe I should pull this up because... And it particularly, you know, that hits home for me because what she struggled really was with was the uh, the trauma and tragedy of dealing with the court system. Wow. I, I mean, could you tell us a little bit more? Because honestly, I'm not that familiar. Like, I'm the Sinead O'Connor that I'm more familiar with is like the shaved head era where she's like tearing up pictures of the Pope and everything. And like I remember that, but I was also pretty young when it happened. So it's like her, it's there. But after that, I didn't really keep up with much of her career. So. Her son was taken away from her, um, uh, I think, and he committed suicide just last year. Get the fuck out! That's terrible. I'll, I'll have to uh, pull up. Yep. So they took away her son for years. She was the only. She was the primary caregiver for her son and uh, the family court system. Yep. See, it says son. in the article here. Yeah, this is from sugbo.ph. Okay. Um, but it says that, yeah, Sinead O'Connor, the gifted Irish singer, songwriter who became a superstar in her mid twenties and was known as much for her private struggles and provocative actions. See the actions I knew about more or less, but maybe not the private stuff. So it says as for her fierce and expressive music has died at 56 damn that's young too that's i mean 56 is not that far away from where i'm sitting folks and that shit feels realer every day you know like you see somebody in that place in life at 56 gone already man look at that e335 there that gibson what a bad fucking guitar now it says um 
the gifted Irish singer songwriter was uh, known for her private struggles, like it set up there, and being an activist. Says O'Connor was born in 1966 in Dublin, Ireland, and due to her unique singing style and outspoken nature, she she swiftly rose to fame after starting her music career in the late 1980s. And then, uh, like I was talking about, nothing compares to you. A worldwide smash hit was included on O'Connor's second album, "I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got," which was released in 1990. Now it says. There were controversies throughout O'Connor's career. She was open about her battles with mental illness and drugs. And in 92, she tore up a picture of yep, uh, Pope John Paul II on Saturday Night Live. But um, yeah, I guess that was more of a recent photo over there. Um, and it says O'Connor had been outspoken in recent years about her battles with addiction and mental illness. And that she uh, described her experience in her 2021 memoir, Rememberings. So, yeah. Now, I don't know. if Does it say? Does it say what? Uh, I'm trying her? to. I'm trying to. Well, I think yeah. they, they insinuate suicide. Oh, man. Um, there's a. And uh, it involved the custody battle. So hold on, I'm pulling up that article. Well, yeah. That, while while you were doing that too, I'm sure I can uh, affirm for the rest of the crowd here that you know when the state and family court system steps into your life and can take the most meaningful people in your life away from you or threaten to, and you have to battle for them and especially with all your money and every, everything else. Sorry, I'm still broadcasting that. There we go. All right, but yeah, the... um, Here, let me pull this over too. And I'll get this up for us, this new one here. But yeah, when you're... We're, Lisa, when you're battling for those types of things in court though, like when you're you're facing losing your kids and spending a fortune to make sure that you don't lose them, and then people are undermining your mental faculties and taking advantage of the fact potentially that you have declared that you have a mental illness or that somebody else has declared that you have a mental illness, which is even more subjective and kind of crazy to think about that somebody can just look at you and go, yeah, this person's crazy. And therefore they have to have their kids taken away from them. Like it's that simple of an equation. Like that's my problem with it. Like, yeah, there's there's gonna be, and I'm sure there's plenty of uh, people out there listening, maybe that had parents like that, where just yeah, my, the parents were fucking crazy, and you probably shouldn't have been in their care. I don't know, but how easy is it to take advantage of the fact that somebody that struggled from, and this is something that so many people in the arts and music, you know, that especially people that I've met over the years struggle with with depression. And you say that because somebody's suffered from depression and self-harm that they and, can't and, be a parent. And I saw a post showing that um, actually a lot of the cause because she was sexually abused. Well, that too. So then you're victimizing a victim after the fact too, you know, right? That, that you have a victim of sexual abuse, someone that then became a parent. Um, and then you're telling them that because of the trauma existing from their prior abuse, that that makes them unfit to be a parent so then the state's allowed to come in and victimize them more essentially by ripping from them the, one of the most important things if, if not the most important thing in their life like that's not going to upset somebody 
that that's not going to make a, a person with a, a bad frame of mind about what life is about in general, maybe that that's not going to make it, it's going to make the situation worse. Like what problem are we really protecting the kids in that, in that case too? Like, did it, did it protect the children of Sinead O'Connor to threaten to have them removed from her care? If this was the result of it too, that's another serious question. Like, you know, are the kids better off now that their mother is passed potentially because of this situation? Like that, that are we happy about that outcome? <laughs> so, um, yeah, let me let me pull up this new article and see if it had anything to say in this one. Um, this one is from New York Post. So and go back, make sure. Yeah. All right. So let me. What the heck? Did I put up the wrong one? Yeah, I guess I put up the wrong one. Here, let me find the right article, folks. This one's from the New York Post. There we go. All right. So it says, yeah, Sinead O'Connor's tragic life, childhood torture, says son's death and four marriages. Well, yeah. It's the entertainment business for you, too, in a sense. Um, speaking of which, something happy, <laughs> real, really quick, as we read about this, you know, ultra depressing type of stuff sometimes. Um, Sorry. <laughs> shout out to a uh, uh, friend of TNP uh, who's appeared on uh, Digging Chris Graves, uh, Corin Nemec. He just recently got married. Uh, so, you know, this mentioned four marriages and stuff like that. Sometimes marriages last, you know, it's not every, it's not every case where it ends in disaster. I don't think Lisa, right? <laughs> yeah. Some, sometimes things do work out for people. Um, so I, I want to, you know, congratulate Corin on his marriage and everything like that. Beautiful pictures I saw the, the other day. Also saw a guest appearance by Hulk Hogan too. That, but that I, I want to hear about eventually, because um, <laughs> you know that's that's that would be mind blowing <laughs> to have Hulk Hogan at your wedding in general. Um, but um, I'd love to hear how they know each other and stuff like that too. But uh, and I'm sure Billy Ray would like to listen as well. Billy Ray is a huge Hulk Hogan fan. Shout out to Billy Ray. But um, yeah, so I digress. <laughs> Pulled, pulled a taz there. I, I digress greatly. But it says, um, Sinead O'Connor was one of Ireland's most famous exports. Yes, just like the last one said. Controversial, yes. Grammy winner. Oh, I didn't... Well, I haven't really followed the Grammys um, much at all in the past several decades. But it said, uh, who died at age 56. Uh, talks about her battle with bipolar disorder. And also the tragic death in 2022 see i didn't i didn't really know this lisa her son died teenage son died now it doesn't go into that either like it just says the tragic death what what is that supposed to mean it, it, yeah he he committed suicide okay yeah but a after they put him into uh you know the institution Wow, that's kind of kind of not a question. So we're talking to... about this stuff today, yeah. right? No, with the I'm articles sorry, that we pulled sorry. for the, no, this, this is actually. But it, I mean, but it goes to show you, though, in terms of uh, how music that it's not just music for some people, right? I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it's it's the type of it's the type of release. It's the type of catharsis, I guess. You know, to borrow that you know, from religion and things, but, um, yeah, for, for me, like the, the 
somebody's outpouring of their story. That's why I love like the people that are closer to the music that they perform. You know, if you wrote the lyrics that you're singing, that you came up with the the riffs and the chords that you're using, um, that that matters a lot to me because I want to know that I want to know the person that sort of is telling this story to me. And, you know, that's why with that, that form of identity, like whenever you used to be able to just listen to something and connect with somebody that way too, like, that's why I like about our format here as well, that, you know, you can, you can not know us personally and know much about us and about our personal lives here. But when we get together and we share our, and express our feelings about these things that by putting out that, sort of uh that emotion and that creative energy and that, criti that critical thought that we get people uh shout out to critical thought the <laughs> the the person um but then um you know when we do that though that it just it resonates with people i think very much in the same way like i there are podcasts to me that hit as hard as uh particular songs and everything because it teaches me something it gives me a chance to sort of jump in mentally to where the the people discussing whatever that topic is. Um, so when you listen to something that's done well in this genre, just as you listen to something that's done well in music, I think that you could walk away from something potentially even life-changing whenever it comes to the lesson learned from it. So, and I learn lessons all the time, uh, especially from people like yourself, Lisa. We're very appreciative to have you here. Um, and perhaps this is where we should uh, transition then into... Uh, uh, into this so i'm gonna pull up the uh big video if i can all right let's see if we can do that and just oh this is yeah i love this this guy <laughs> folks has this ever happened to you like have you ever just i mean i'm not gonna lie I think what was, the pre what was the four triple what was the IPAs? John Henry's seen me what? like this <laughs> back in the day when I was drinking. Like, you give me four triple IPAs or something like that, <laughs> you know, maybe a couple of hits of this or that. Uh, I may have done that, I may have just gone ah and then froze the fuck up, <laughs> but I don't know what old Mitch was doing. I mean, let's let's go just the just watch when it breaks. He's just he's speaking two people in public he's got reporters in front of him there's all kinds of shit going on here lisa so a lot of give stimuli me the content. I mean, give me the give me the subject matter again that he was speaking about oh fuck i don't even know uh we'll, we'll have to pull up the fox news article that i pulled to just to refresh my memory on that because i don't know what the hell he was coming out to blather about um probably some kind of like bullshit that he does with like root and branch and all of, like these like weird like analogies that he makes uh to things fuck that pisses me off because i do it all the time too but um no he he so, but he doesn't really say anything like that's the, there, there was a really important video that i watched on youtube many years ago um and this was by a channel i, I hope it still exists um called counter arguments um counter arguments was an amazing channel because they would literally break down for you what was going on in particular arguments like what fallacies people were relying upon and kind of like a referee in a really well-judged debate would be they looked at particular arguments in society and were pointing out where people were wrong logically and why they didn't support their argument well or whatever 
Now with with Mitch, um, I don't expect him to say anything of any substance. I don't expect the numbers coming out of his mouth to be real. Um, I don't expect the reality that he lives in whenever it comes to our foreign policy or our economic policy or anything like that to be. Oh yeah, that that article that that you um, have for the source list shows, yeah, that that it was AI at the GOP luncheon, and that he was talking about good bipartisan cooperation. And oh, see, he, so yeah, other shit that is real. Then it just, and then it just went. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> talking about an abstract too like bipartisanship and cooperation and all these other things too like nothing of real substance not not, not terra firma as our friend tiger would say um but yeah let, let's let's take another look at the just like the the fucking mental break here for a second bipartisan cooperation and a string of uh... and a string of gone you know it's oh. almost like I mean, like, like you would think that the UFO just happened there. Where's the? <laughs> he was just abducted by aliens, right well, here. Look and at Lisa, I'm glad you brought it up because this clip immediately, like where my mind went after seeing this clip a few uh, weeks ago. Let me pull this one up for you. I don't know if you folks have seen this yet. I'm telling you, I'm getting the f off, and there's a reason why I'm getting the f off, and everyone can either believe it or they cannot believe it. I don't give two f but I am telling you right now, that mother f that mother f back there is not real. And you can sit on this plane and you can f die with them or not. I'm not going to. Uh. Bye. I love the DTN. Bye. <laughs> wow. That's hysterical. Now, that's what it reminded me of just because uh, I'll switch back to the panel here. It reminded me of that because like, what if, what if Mitch saw a lizard person out in the white house press pool? You know, is it, is it really that um, uh, unlikely, you know, with that group of people that that's where the lizard people would be hanging out? No, but you know that that little clip that I played of the lady. Apparently, she saw some guy that like blinked side Wait, to side you, or something, and then you know freaked you just out remind about me it. Of, um, the uh, in Star Wars in the lounge. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the um, the Mos Eisley spaceport, you know, scene. Yeah, the bar scene, <laughs> always the best. Yeah, Sorry. especially the especially that uh, that theme that dun, 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 dun. yeah, gotta love that shit. Um, great, great compositions there in those films. Although we may have to uh, piss off a lot of Star Wars fans eventually and have to do a deep dive into the background of that movie and the people involved in it and maybe what kind of shady shit they were doing at the time. Because uh, I've heard some things and there are no sacred cows here at TMP. So even though I grew up a big Star Wars fan, I'm not shy about exploring what what the darker side of you know that tale was rather just how it was made or produced or who it was sold to and why so i mean i'll, I'll take a look at anything there but um no whenever, whenever it comes to like the, the the reptilian stuff and i joke when i'm saying that i mean i think that you know this lesson here like if we uh look at M mitch and his age are we allowed to say that is that ages to say that some guy that's old, you know, just might have a fucking health problem. 
you know, and, and also, are we that deluded um, and that bitched out basically as a society that we'll let this guy continue ruling us? Like he's allowed when, to come up to a podium not, and just go, it's not for let like us. 30 seconds. It's not <laughs> about that we have even any control. Do you think, oh, true. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Feinstein, uh, Pelosi, uh, Nadler, whatever. Do you really think that they really want to still be there? Right. You know, or maybe they aren't. I mean, Tom's like, maybe he's just a clone and glitched out. I mean, that's fucking, you know, anything's on the table today, Tom. Absolutely. (laughs) absolutely. With, with our reality and the way it's presented to us, um, you know, to, to rule out anything is foolish. I think, um, now there, there may be more likely things than others, of course. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but one thing I was going to bring up too, and I'll, maybe I'll uh, pull up the, the article that I pulled for the big four here as we go through it, but that for someone like McConnell in his position, shut the fuck up, Neil Cavuto, stuff a cannoli in it. All right. Um, but it says, uh, McConnell jokes about freezing up and tells Biden he got sandbagged. This is the response. Like if if I were watching like even pro wrestling these days, even in, even in some of like the more indie circuits, they seemingly just really don't give a fuck about their health. Um, if somebody got rocked like that, where they were just fucking out of it on camera, they would go to like immediate concussion protocol. Like they they would they'd be seeing a doctor, they'd be seeing a specialist, maybe. Um, they would have some type of like, you know, report to the public. You know, this is it's almost like Jamie Foxx type of stuff, right? Like we didn't really cover that story as much because I still don't know what the fuck to think of that story even. Um, and there's been talk about clones there too. I mean, maybe it maybe it is clones. Maybe that's the that, that, that maybe that's the linking uh you know type of fact in all of these stories is fucking clones. But um I, I want to go out on the limb to say that. You know, when somebody has that type of episode where their brain literally freezes up, where they don't know what the fuck to do or where they're at, um, maybe that warrants a checkup. <laughs> you know, may, maybe um, with somebody with that much power and responsibility that we give them or, you know, supposedly give them with our votes, that, that there's some sort of protocol for what they do when something happens to someone like that. Like, was he able to just walk away? And this is a question I don't, I don't know the answer to necessarily. Uh, but asking, you know, the audience too, did Mitch McConnell even have to visit a doctor after this? Like, did he even have to go? Did he just get to brush it off and say, oh, I got sandbagged talking about Biden falling down. That's what he was referencing there too, with sandbagged. Not that his brain got sandbagged down. Like, you know, you would sandbag a, uh, a wrestling move or a motor, you know, or something like that. You'd bog something down on purpose that no, he he said that, you know, he just, sort of mentally tripped up okay but you know is that an everyday thing <laughs> is this something that happens a lot um oh yeah and then tom reminds me yes there was tons of clones in star wars too oh yeah predictive programming clone wars yikes um but then um yeah but when we're talking about mitch here though like did he just get to walk away and brush that stuff off did he get to just make a joke about it? And Fox News, you know, reported it like it was, you know, pretty much this is all we get. Nothing um, to see here, folks. <laughs> yeah, there was no like deep questioning, and especially you don't expect it from Fox News, right? But at the same time, though, n- no questioning about 
his mental faculties or his ability to continue in his position and whether or not we should be looking at whoever his second in line is to like maybe, you know, take up his position for a second, maybe do one of the soap opera announcements at the next congressional session, you know, on the Senate floor or whatever, or just like now playing the part of Mitch McConnell, some other fucking guy in a suit. Cause what the hell does it matter? You know, like, <laughs> like I mean, not, not that we couldn't replace him literally with a turtle. <laughs> and it would pretty much well, just, I think of it like a squish fish actually yeah. well it, it's just well the fish the turtle whatever as long as they can sign or, or they don't even have to sign anymore don't they have an electronic voting system they just go in and they just like fucking boop the screen and, it, and their vote comes up or something now oh that and and uh who was that that they uh was it feinstein who who couldn't even answer at the roll call there? She didn't even know she'd been gone. They were like, <laughs> "Welcome back," and she's like, what "The fuck are you talking about? I've been here the whole time." <laughs> like it, like it was like the 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 shining, you know, right? That just like, "Oh, you've been, you've always been here, Miss Feinstein," you know. <laughs> then you find out everybody's a ghost. Um, I I, I don't say I to the bill. I I. <laughs> oh yeah, say I mean I. and. And with the ins- with the insanity as it is, I mean, as long as the uh, turtle or fish in his place could uh, sign all of the documents to ship more bombs overseas or whatever the fuck, or spend more money on whatever crisis that the government declares a crisis to spend its money on, um, you know, with without our approval at all of these things, and, and it just goes to show too that like uh, even the, the the companies, the the voting machine companies that may have helped get him elected. Um, you know, they they just needed his corporeal presence as it was talked about with Joe Biden. Um, he's no different than just like a, a person there. That's a placeholder. I've talked to our friend Don about it, that people on in the Republican party are basically like, they're like doorstops that, that the Democrats are, are swinging the door closed. And the only thing that's stopping that door from closing at times is just guys just laying in front of the door like Mitch. <laughs> no, you know, that, that's basically that, that's all the pushback you're going to get um you're not going to get any actual advancement or support for any of the ideals or politics of your particular side if that's what you're voting for you know when you vote for republicans um that basically all you're getting is somebody you know his, his forehead is just barring the door open slightly you know <laughs> that's it that's all you really get that's that's your support out there uh, if not worse, you know, because like our friend Harlan pointed out, you'll get um, what, what was it, Harlan, 83, 84, like flag waving Republicans um, that all voted not to allow uh, people back into the military. Was it the Air Force um, pilots in the Air Force for refusing to be jabbed? You know, that we, we have no type of uh, opposition when it comes to the, the dual parties in, in this country that we're presented with. Um, that when you see the fact that they will constantly and forever back up any type of warmongering plan to, um, should tell you something about them as people. Uh, but then how they treat us domestically though, as if we were serfs, um, uh, and you know, to, to their, uh, they treat us like idiots. I mean, come on. Uh, if you, if you watch the congressional hearings, I mean, really congressional hearings. I mean, it's just freaking theater. They come out with nothing. They come out with nothing. Like I know, I know how this traps people on the other side of things. Now, 
more i i understand it better completely after watching more of the modern uh uh types of congressional hearings like i'd watched you know through the russia gate stuff and those, those types of hearings before to know that most of this shit was just a show but now when i watch it i can see where people that identify with a lot of the ideology of the left and collectivism and just what they've been sold through pop media bullshit tv that when they're watching this, they're watching the Republicans come out and be just as terrible as the Democrats were at presenting any evidence, um, being uh, having any type of fair <laughs> or impartiality evidence. whenever presenting. it comes to objective reality. Okay, I, I <laughs> presenting evidence. Let me know when that actually ever happens. <laughs> yes, yeah, they come out with nothing, and they also they th the way that they frame their arguments too are just as stupid and shitty as the other side. They're the same damn moves. Like if you look at it from a strategic standpoint, you know, like not that there's that much substance to what the fuck they're talking about in the first place. You know, they, they, they allude to certain things like Hunter Biden's involvement in Ukraine or whatever, but they'll never, they'll never uncover why he was there because if they uncovered why he was there, it would uncover why the military was there, why the state department was there, you know, and, and, Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to deal with that type of backlash. Like if you're a, even like a minority party, as they are right now, um, the backlash on the American government of the American people finding out exactly why we're involved in the Ukraine ordeal over there and how long we've been involved and what we've been doing over there and who we put in place to make it happen. I think the Hunter Biden deal delivers a lot of those goods. And that's why you'll never see that information being presented by the Republicans because it would damn them. It would damn them because the military industrial complex would no longer support them. All the dark money that funds their fucking campaigns wouldn't come through because you're messing with business. You know, it, it's not, it's not about ideology. It's not about morality or right and wrong. It's about what's good for business with them. And they're just like any other creature in that position. It doesn't matter if there's an R or a D there. It's the big S with usually two or one lines through it. It's about that money. That's what they're there for. And if you don't think so, how do these motherfuckers get rich? How do they get rich in office, getting paid what they get paid? How does that happen? You know, is it, is it any coincidence that Joe Biden's brother was able to go overseas to all the different countries that Joe Biden presided over as vice president? in a way, and, and make use of that inroad to develop business over there. Do you think it was a coincidence that they came up with that idea? How fucking random is that? Like, if you're a contractor working here in America, is, does it make sense to just go over to a completely different country and start up a brand new business just because you, you, know, you maybe think that that might work out better? No. You get insider information. You hear something through the grapevine, and then you go and pursue that. Now, that in itself is corrupt, but also, you think our government doesn't know that that's happening and knew that it was happening the whole entire time? You don't think they take advantage of crooked people to use them, to keep, the, to keep leverage on them for long periods of time even. In fact, even install them as president. Because the most corrupt and crooked person that you know of 
and Joe Biden's definitely fitting that category for me, um, that they're the most easy to control because at any time they can pop on them. Anytime they can drop something about Hunter and Joe and their business dealings and all this stuff. And then all of the focus goes on that. It I goes on the corrupt the, president, the bad I, guy. I really, I really would tell people do not become their personal chefs because that could be dangerous. Oh yeah. How about that one too? I mean, I guess if you see Michelle's dick, um, you drown. Is that what happens? Um, is that the rule? House rules? Obama house rules? Coming to uh, WeTV or whatever? No, I, I, I've i heard all sorts of things, seen some great memes about that, about uh, the chef finding out that Big Mike was really Big Mike, you know, packing. And uh, that's why uh, they wound up in the water somehow. Hmm. Funny the second, that. The second chef to hit the water. <laughs> well, yeah, there was a Clinton one and an Obama one, too. You, what are the odds of that? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're that close to these types of creatures, too, in any shape or form. I mean, that's the that's the the question that was asked. I believe it was in Clerks 2, or was it or was it the original Clerks? I wish Graves were here to correct me on it. Um, but they talked about, and this is a Star Wars reference again, um, that in Star Wars, when they blew up the uh, third Death Star, or the second Death Star, I'm sorry. Um, so in the third movie, I mean. The third real movie um that may cause some controversy i hope not um because I'm, I'm right no but uh with the second death star it was being constructed while they blew it up so if you're a construction guy and i believe this was the first clerks yes um if you're a construction guy and you're just working a job and you're working for somebody evil like the evil empire in um in star wars and a bunch of rebels swing by and blow the whole damn thing up i mean was that on you for the choice that you made for serving people like that? Or did the people that were rebels, like the, the, the people that they killed, the, you know, the, um, uh, the people that always get killed in wars like this, you know, the people that like the women and the children that are left behind in the cities that we bomb or send bombs to, um, that type of collateral damage, if you will, like, was that, was that justified? Was it justified that the rebels blew up the, you know, the the Death Star filled with people that were constructing it that may have been even forced into that labor? You know, you, you think that somebody like an evil empire wouldn't be using slave labor? <laughs> I mean, so I mean, we we go to wars with these countries that are forced conscription, right? Like you have uh you have Russia and Ukraine. Uh, going around and taking people and forcing them into going and fighting for them. Um, we've done that in our past, haven't we? I mean, I remember watching uh, Gangs in New York uh, and, and being sort of startled by the scene of all the other startling scenes in that movie, but being startled by the fact that that used to be a way of life. That if you were a poor person and you were of age to serve, that you were forced to serve. And if you didn't, that would mean jail time or even death. I mean, that's a, that's a terrible world to live in. And then when you do, even when you um, enlist, okay, finding out that you're actually just uh, a slave to be able to be your medical autonomy going out the window, experiments up the gazulu. 
And uh, also, Harlan here says in the chat, it seems our whole system and way of life is corruption, and we are all a little guilty. And I do agree with that. I, I think that Tim Dillon brought that up in a conversation. Oh, I forget who the fuck it was with. But um, he said that, yeah, we're, we're all, I think it was Lex Friedman. Yes, because John Henry uh, told me about it. I don't even think I listened to the full episode. Uh, so much to catch up on, folks. But no, um, I think Tim, Tim Dillon mentioned, because I remember watching the clip at least, that uh, you know we, we as Americans, like we're all a little guilty of what our empire is, is doing because we sort of tacitly support it every time that we allow them to take money out of our paycheck or whatever, or be addicted to their government welfare. And when or, we actually think that voting is going to get our way out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Being addicted to any of their institutions, rather tangible or intangible. You know, if it's being on the grid, um, if, if it's, uh, you know, paying your, your local, uh, you know, property tax or anything like that, or if it's, uh, you know, the IRS and their 87,000 armed agents. I mean, know, isn't, that, isn't that a kick? People, people actually think they're homeowners, okay? They think oh, yeah. they own their home, really? Do you, really? Guess what happens when you're, you, <laughs> you owe $5 on your property tax? Well, what do you call that then? Is it a misunderstanding, right? Is it a misunderstanding that people that live in our country don't really know what the, the real truth is about how our system works? Because, I mean, I definitely sense a lot of ignorance out there. I mean, I don't want to, you know, to me, like, I hate calling the people brain dead or brainwashed and all this other stuff. And I may use those terms at times, especially when I get pissed off. But, like, to me, like, for, just to be real about, you know, how I feel about people. Like, I really do think that a lot of it is ignorance, that most people just are ignorant of the fact of how the world works. They're ignorant to the fact of, you know, how, you know, ownership even works, like you mentioned. And all the other things. You, they're, they're, just, they're definitely so, ignorant about the court system and how that works, Lisa. You 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 tell us those stories. Cognitive, cognitive dissonance, right? It's well, yeah. people not wanting to to understand it, even worse. Well, there are denials too. I mean, uh, for sure. You know, we 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 prop up certain things. Like, um, so say for instance, when the idea of Western chauv chauvinism was presented, right? You have a, a person like Gavin McGinnis talking about a concept where, you know, we in a, we in the West are the superior culture. Now, there are things that I absolutely love about our culture. I love the fact that I have access to goods and services pretty much at any time that I want to in my life. Um, even so much so that it's absurd. Like I never would have imagined having access to thousands upon thousands of hours of just wrestling footage on, on a website like YouTube, right? I never would have imagined growing up as a kid where my parents could barely afford cable television so I might be lucky enough to be home at the right time and have the one TV in the house that we had at the time available to me to maybe watch like a wrestling episode. Now, if I wanted to, I, I would never have to leave my house. I could just sit and watch wrestling all day and the government would probably pay me to do it. <laughs> you know, if I got, if I got to a certain point where I got so, um, so dependent on the government, right. Um, so destitute where basically I could become a ward of the state 
and have the state care for me in a way um you got to use the word care <laughs> maybe in quotations in this argument but you know when when you have uh, this perfect harlan thank you do you really own anything that could be taken away yes that's what i'm talking about like if i were to describe myself to just being nothing in life and i didn't want to go out and work and i didn't want to participate in society or culture anymore and i just wanted to sit and do nothing i could do that and i could do it with ease that part about our culture is actually scary i mean i love having access to things it's great that i could you know if i woke up at three o'clock in the morning and i had a hankering for ice cream i could probably find some easily you know other people in the rest of all existence in the world don't even know what that's like there are people that exist right now in in countries around the world maybe in countries where this show is being listened to where that's not a that's not a thing you know that that's not something that they have access to but we do we have so much plenty we have so much bounty in this country uh we have such beautiful nature all around us i was able to talk to tiger a little bit about this this week too just because he's a nature lover to say the least you know and you know to be outside and experience it without the stimuli of the media and something you know like my earbuds in and other things this week i i was able to get out and i did a little hike and it started raining and i i'm glad i didn't bring like shit that got ruined or anything like that i was able to just power through it and just go out and walk in the rain you know on a trail alone and just have that time to myself and that time to get centered and just hear nothing but the rain around me maybe an occasional animal or something like that running off the trail or whatever maybe a couple of frogs that scared the shit out of me but um yeah, you walk past something that goes like that. You're not expecting it. It's like I, I jump sideways a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but the frogs are cool. Um, but you know, just that that type of experience though, of getting away from this mess, getting away from like the constant bombardment with images and fucking sounds and bright lights and shit, and just getting out to where all the stimuli around you is real, terra firma, like the good stuff, like the stuff that you can't explain why it exists. You know, the stuff that didn't come from a manufacturing plant somewhere else, something that wasn't cooked up in someone's brain and then regurgitated to you through media. Like, it's just rain. It's just real. It's there. You can feel it. And that's also what made me think of something even scarier. The deep fakes that we've been told about that exist. I mean, you can, you can obviously go on and look at videos of people that can... I've heard that you, they can take as little as 20 minutes of your, your audio and be able to mimic your voice. Maybe they can already do that with mine. I've certainly put out a lot of words doing this in the past several months. But that's something that's going to be presented to you, whether on your phone or your TV or something like that. That's not, that's not necessarily real. I mean, you you see it, you experience it. So in essence, it, it has a, a touch of reality to it, but it's not fully real. You can't you can't touch it. You can't you know experience it that, in that way. What if there's fake shit out there that you can? I mean, there's camouflage, isn't there? There's there's ways that you could sort of disguise certain things. Now, I'm not saying the lizard people are real here, folks, <laughs> but um. If you wanted to make somebody think that they were, could you? Like, I, again, I wish Graves were here because uh, he talks to a lot of practical effects people in his shows on digging. 
uh, Chris Graves and on Get Mad um, on Ocelli.com. Definitely go check out both those shows. But um, now, when you talk about practical effects like that and making it look like somebody in real life is something, can you do that? I think you can get away with it in certain instances. Like if you I mean wanted like to, all those lawyers who wear black robes. I mean, uh, oh well, yeah, but just I mean, being a, being a little bit goofy with it, but yeah, you know, entertain this for a second. Imagine if you Graves and I, uh, you know, we we hired like a Hollywood level um, a special effects team, and we wanted to fix up somebody with a little I. I socket deal that gave them like the horizontal uh, type of uh, eye blinking, right? And that's all we really wanted. So what would you need? You'd need like some sort of facial appliance. You need some makeup to blend it in. You need some of that spirit glue, whatever the fuck it is. It's hard to get off you, especially if you have a beard um, and things of that nature. You'd, like, you'd, you'd need some work, but would you need all that much tech? Like something that, you know, maybe makes the eye eyelet go back and forth and everything like that. Would you need all that much? And then you, you know, you get the right lighting, the right situation, maybe the right uh, social situation too. Maybe get some social lubrication. You know, you send a person into a bar. You know, I've, I've sat in plenty of bars where I, I probably wouldn't have blinked twice after seeing somebody blink sideways. Um, <laughs> you know? Like get this guy another whatever the fuck he's drinking, um, but no, I mean you you could send people into that situation. You could probably get some pretty convincing reactions. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you could, everyone's going to buy it. You know, there might be skeptical pricks like me sitting in in the corner of the bar going, ah, that's a fucking fake. You know, like there's no way that's real. Let me touch that shit. You know, like I'm, I'm you know a little bit more uh, forward than most people. Um, so. <laughs> But no, I mean, you you can convince people that fake shit in real life is real. I oh, mean, I, for sure, for sure. I don't, Just in a courtroom. Well, yeah, yeah. Like we don't even have to get into like all the age, you know, conspiracy Voldemort. We'll we'll call him that. You know, Alex Jones type of uh, crisis actor type of thing to know that there's people out there acting on television that, you know, it's supposed to be real, but it's probably not. Um. Uh, Court is a great way uh, to sort of express that too, because uh, as in the, our friend Don Jeffries explained it too, in a lot of courtrooms where they get these victim statements, like from families of, of just like how they feel or how they interpret what they're going through as to being like part of the court record and not the shit on victims, you know, not to say that those people aren't even speaking the truth, but to get something as subjective as someone's feelings on record. And how that makes them feel. That's a really, really sketchy thing. Cause how do I prove that they feel that way, Lisa? Like, I'm, I'm not saying that somebody that was like in an abusive relationship doesn't feel abused or victimized. But, but how do I prove these, it? But there's even the notion of, okay, well, you, facts over feelings. How's that? I mean, well, truth. Yeah. I mean, there has to be at least a hierarchy of what makes something more real, right? Like if you see something in front of you, you pretty much agree that it's real, but there's levels of real. Like what's presented in front of you, if you're watching like a, a very well-produced Broadway play could look very well real. Like the people in Cats might look real in even disgusting, disgusting ways. 
um look did you see like the new presentation of like the, the cats the cats movie and what those creatures look like no i haven't seen that one yet oh man i thought that the andrew lloyd weber deal like with the cats growing up i already thought it was weird and then they made it weirder they made it much weirder so um but anyway but you see something like that in person and you're like okay well i know that the thundercats weren't real but they were pretty fucking cool this person's dressed up like a cat they're probably not a real cat but what if you had to re refer to them as a real cat what if it was the the scenario is that you were a teacher and i've heard this story i forget where it was so oh, pardon you me just, for not referencing it yep i heard this go ahead go ahead but you have a student in class <laughs> who claims to be of cat gender and the school, if not the local community, the, the local governance tells you that you have to affirm that, that you have, that you cannot tell the kid because it's dangerous to the child too. I love that, that assumption because they make that claim, but demonstrate very little. And in fact, it works out that enabling that type of shit hurts the people in the long run a lot of the time but you can't talk about that reality either right so i mean it's it, what i wanted to say and to sort of wrap up this part of the big four is is that if we allow the government or any entity or any institution to decide what reality is it could be from whatever board of psychology uh it could be from whatever uh university it could be from whatever judge or, or, or part of our, our justice system that decides what's real. Um, you always need to affirm that by doing a couple of different things. One, can you visualize it? Are there any other visuals? Is it just verbal claims? Because verbal claims is the start. Like having, having eyewitness testimony of what happened. Like if you witnessed a murder, Lisa, obviously, and I hope you never do, but you know, if you witness something like that, like your eyewitness testimony of that murder is going to be important. However, wait a minute. The, that, that's the forensic a, that, evidence, you, you know, mean, that's on that's in that case is probably more important when it comes to proving what happened. Well, and will the judge let you, uh, the witness, actually testify to their observations as to what happened? Oh, it depends on uh, the connections that the judge may have with. Uh, whoever's on trial there because <laughs> that's something that we're not supposed to acknowledge right lisa that uh if the judge rather feels that because of their career choices uh or their pals in the country club or the people from the local community that could help them make some money or whatever it is um if they feel that it might benefit them maybe they subjectively look at something and say well eh, this witness testimony doesn't apply here it just it doesn't apply to this rule. That's just how I look at it. That's how I see it. That's my call. And and a lot of people don't like thinking about that way. Uh, they, they like thinking that uh, the, the justice system is a scientific process where they adjudicate all the known evidence and that everybody's given a fair shot to present that evidence. And that is not the fucking case, is it, Lisa? <laughs> Bullshit, man. Yeah. What a what a farce. I mean, it, uh, the, 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 
Well, yeah. and we're not even allowed to monitor it as much anymore, right, Lisa? Oh my, like you've been, oh my you've been God. trying to call in on on a couple right? of our friends' uh, trials to listen into, and they don't even let you listen in anymore for notes, notes and analysis. We can't even do that shit, and especially in family courts where they uh, close it down. So, on uh, many cases where they don't allow people who are even willing to go there to watch the cases, they keep the public out. Well, yeah, and shout yeah. out to our friend Pat, who's in the chat now, and says, I like visuals. And yeah, I mean, we're not allowed visuals of these court trials. We're not allowed video of this stuff. Uh, I can't record any of it, too. So I can't get, I can only give you a secondhand account verbally of what I even heard, if I'm even allowed to listen in to what happens in these trials. And this is why it's so so important, which uh, I so want to get this uh, movement underway of being able to obtain actual court transcripts of what goes on throughout these court systems. Not just J6, but I'm talking about any and all court proceedings. Yes. And if you go to, uh, I'll pull it up here real quick. Uh, if you go to Subscribestar, and here, let me expand this a little bit so people can see it there we go but yeah if you go to subscribe star um and look up the tmp document vault um so it's subscribe star slash the hyphen new hyphen prisoners uh so subscribe star.com uh slash the hyphen new hyphen prisoners um you can go there and subscribe for free and donate to us through this so we can help uh obtain some of those court transcripts um we have a free followers tier uh, we didn't want to do any type of monthly subscription with this, um, at least yet, until we can expand it and add some additional content and other things that may be in the works. But um, what we want to do with the subscribe star, as we do with any of our other TMP platforms at this time, is that we want to keep it open to the public to be a public access type of thing where everybody can have access to this archive. So what we plan on archiving here is rather court transcripts and documents, uh, PDF files um, related to the stories that we talk about here too. But also we're going to be adding um, image collections, one being uh, Graves at Graves, <laughs> which is uh, our friend uh, Chris Graves visiting the graves of famous people like uh, one Milton William Cooper here or Bill Cooper as he was um to most people in our little community so um yeah the, we plan on doing a lot of fun stuff with this on subscribe star and it's something you can sign up for for free even if you don't want to donate um it just helps our numbers and it helps boost us in subscribe stars algorithm it unlocks certain abilities to do things so please if you are listening to this uh take the time today uh the link is in our liberty links at the bottom of the description of this video if you go and subscribe for free to our followers tier It'll unlock more things for us to be able to offer as far as payment structure um, and other things with subscribe star too. So um, we really appreciate it if you go sign up for free. Again, there's no um, obligation whatsoever to ever donate. But if you ever are listening and you feel that we are talking about something you'd like us to get a, our hands on, that you'd like to see the, the court transcripts being placed on a, an online archive where people can access this for free people that are researchers, people that work within the court system, people that are, are curious like us, you know, that discuss these things with friends, listen to podcasts like this, and they want access to the actual source of the information itself from the courts, not just little blurbs and, and stuff that people put on Twitter. 
and then claim that that's the truth, right? We want the whole fucking show. We want the whole document here uh, for people to see, Lisa. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, now, I'll move on, though, to this next one because uh, I wanted to talk about this as well since we're talking about mental health and who has rights to declare who's sane and who's insane or whatever. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to it, apparently our, our leaders can definitely walk away from those types of questions and the media won't even pursue it. Um, but, you know, a top Arkansas psychiatrist, it says here, is accused of falsely imprisoning patients and Medicare fraud. Oh, you're saying that, you know, government corruption had, you know, something that, you know, to lead to this? You don't say so. Um, well, which has been happening for, for over three decades in what's called the Guardian Racket. This, yep. this go, um, yeah, this is just one example. Of, this isn't new, folks. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, I, I saw this article and not just was horrified by like the implications of it. And also the fact that, I mean, yes, like if you're going and seeking treatment, like the, it's, uh, there's been times in my life where maybe I should have seek treatment. Okay. Um, and maybe I self-treated the wrong ways at times too. But you know, what, for the people that are in a situation where they have maybe still faith in modern psychology <laughs> or you know that they're desperate for help and they're they're looking for answers and they go to someone like this and they get take advantage of in this way um i mean is is it is it the theory lisa that where people that are victimized and we've talked about this on past you know shows but the people that are already victims the predators people potentially like this psychiatrist person here um that they when they see that the people are victims that they know that they could be victimized again that if you are a predator of sorts that you hang around the places where victims are because they're easy to manipulate you know oh, they're, they're, the, they're the prey right that, I yes. mean, that's why this is a racket this isn't yes. an, this isn't just a an anomaly like just you know one psychiatrist. I mean this this is this is racketeering. Period. Well, and it's not just the abuse of power; it's the exploitation oh, of power. That's what shows the intent, they're, right? They're predators. Like, they yeah. are predators. And here's the thing: I mean, so when people think that they're calling up for help uh, to the uh, protective services right yeah i mean that's the beginning of the end i mean that's predatory because what happens is when you're at i mean it's wolves in sheep clothing well it's dracula rules baby you invite dracula in that's on you that's the problem like people are forced and in, in coerced into the situations where they believe that they they have no other choice but to invite a third party into their world and even if they don't make that decision voluntarily this is the real scary part folks is that that third party can just anoint itself the power to do so like if the government can de declare you a threat because of your mental condition of which you've expressed on social media recently maybe you made some videos about it can they just come sweep you up maybe and we're going to talk about that well, I mean, don't we hear about swatting all the time? Well, that stuff too. 
but just like what if it's not you know the 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 swatting act or something like that which is like a way to put pressure on you know people or at least make examples of people not sure sometimes um not 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 that i want to dive into it um but no with the um with the idea here that somebody that's not related to you uh someone that you never voted for never elected to never put in charge of your mental capacity or faculties or anything can step in and say for your own good i'm going to abduct you from your family i'm going to throw you an institution i'm going to pump you full of drugs that maybe you shouldn't even be taking um i'm going to diagnose you any which way that you know i can which is also questionable in a lot of cases uh but just removing someone's agency and freedom from them too now i'm not going to say that there's you know fucking crazy you know shit throwing people out there in the world like there's 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 i'm sure there's lots of psychos out there like i, I saw this uh, i'll probably pull a little video up here in a second from twitter because graves shared it and i thought that a part of it was horrifying and then a part of it too because of how insane it was was kind of hilarious but it was of a naked woman on what appeared to be the la freeway uh just walking along this you know in the middle of the road and shooting at people <laughs> like just not something that you see every day uh, maybe that person does belong in an institution. I'm just saying. Uh, judging from what I saw, how much of what I saw applies to that judgment, though, and, and long term, like, is that person temporarily insane? Is that a real thing? <laughs> is it to the courts that you can plead temporarily insanity? How does one determine that? Is it just somebody's subjective opinion? Is it just some fuck that went to whatever blah 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 college that's, that's with a bunch key. of letters and a fucking lab coat see that's you know. the key is as the subjective nature okay or is it a judge just buying the bullshit you know is it is it a judge believing so much in the institutions of psychology that just you can get some you know some guy's interpretation of what, how someone's supposed to be thinking or feeling and then that's what you go with do you trust the crazy person's you know testimony <laughs> You know, like, are you crazy, sir? You know, what do you expect? They got to go, blah, 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 you know, and back to you, then oh, maybe he is, you know, if he's talking like Taz, you know, from, from fucking Looney Tunes or something. But, but it's shown by this article, though, they're, 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 they're doing it for the money, too, on top of it, right? We're not even talking necessarily about, you know, uh, disgruntled people, you know, because, you know, they want to make someone else's life miserable. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, Real quick, too, uh, Pat brings up the fact that when the government does it, sometimes it may do it to uh, have access to all of our firearms. You know, for instance, you know, that if you, red flag laws and other things like that, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're potentially a crazy person, even. Like, you're already in an immediate category if you choose to serve the country. Isn't that funny? Or, um, you know, you, you've experienced some type of trauma because you're a, a police officer or you're a corrections officer or something like that, or that, you know, they would look at you and say, oh, well, because he suffered these types of mental, he or she, look at me being sexist, um, that, that person <laughs> suffered those traumas that they can just up and take your firearms from you because you're in a risk category. Does that sound like an insurance company move? That doesn't sound like a, like a representative government move. <laughs> but now this from uh, NBC News, though, um, it goes on to say that uh, William Van Wy. What a name for 
a psych is that real is that really his name is that the name of a you go to a psychiatrist named van Y? is that a fucking joke are they punking us lisa wait no no I think, I, think that was, I think that was the victim okay okay all right okay all right thank you thank you it says William Van Wise says he was feeling emotionally overwhelmed when he checked himself into the mental health unit at Northwest Yes Medical Center in Arkansas last year. There we go. All right. I got a little tripped up for a second thinking that that was the doctor's name. I'm like, okay. What well, a, that wouldn't be, be so far fetched. What a, what a psychiatric practice to have. Can you imagine like going to the like the door, you know, where the, the name is etched on the glass? I mean, like it's kind of like why the, the attorney with the attorney's name who's lawless. I mean, uh, yeah, oh yeah. shit! I mean, really? That I'm not making that up, okay? <laughs> I love it. Uh, four days later, it's like the simulation's broken, isn't it? Uh, he was still in a locked unit, but desperate to leave. That doesn't sound good in most cases. Um, now, in quotes, it says, "I was not receiving any medical care at all." Then, why thirty-two said thirty-two? Wow, that's young. Mental health patients in Arkansas can be held against their will for seventy-two hours. If they are deemed a danger to themselves or to others, and but pretty much them... any in any other state, by the way. Okay, yeah. So, uh, thank you, Lisa, for reminding people that yeah, this is common. Uh, but also to keep them any longer than that, a medical provider must file a court petition and get the consent of a judge. So again, how hard is it to file a court petition? Um, who can that be done? It says a medical provider. So who's who's deemed as uh, these these are the things that you uncover when you read through bills like um that one that we had uh, uh who was it that shared that yesterday Lisa I forget um it was a new follow up for me too I'll be able to pull it up here in one second cuz I uh I retweeted it um I'm going to find it here We the people Uh yes yeah that was it that was it. Yeah. Cause I was commenting on um the bill text from an Arizona bill that was uh you know about some types of protections that would be given to the identities of the people in court records and government records and all sorts of things, right? And I had some questions about that too, because and here I can I can probably pull it up as we speak. So here, let me um um bookmark this and move it over then. But yeah. Um, as I pull this up, though, I go on and say, uh, to borrow from Starship Troopers, the service equal anonymity. And what about the rest of the general public? Because if you pull up this link, folks, which I encourage you to do um, and take a look at it, this type of legislation um, pretty much puts in like this vague category, us as the general public, which means that they then become somebody here becomes the gatekeeper to who gets this information and that just so happens like in the case that we're talking about here that happens to be a judge now that judge bases this on what he, he let's go back he bases it on a court petition from a medical provider which can that medical provider have a subjective opinion that they're asserting continuously like what if you're an anti-vaxxer um and the medical provider is saying that your kids need these vaccinations and you are fucking crazy because you don't want to provide them those vaccinations and therefore gets a judge involved and then a judge decides subjectively 
that you are crazy and to send somebody like CPS in to take your kids away. Is that even a possibility, Lisa? And what if the, these doctors who petition make these make these petitions and and get money from the government for for <laughs> putting Well, it even in? goes on to explain here that you don't even need that. That's supposed to be the rule, right? So assuming that because that rule is in place that that's what's going to be done. <laughs> too many people do that too, right? Uh, we take too much for granted, folks. It says here, no petition was filed in Van Wise's case, and his partner, with the help of a lawyer, ultimately succeeded in getting a court order for his release. So that this process wasn't filed, and therefore the, they, they were able to bust them out. But it says, a few hours later, a sheriff's deputy walked into the hospital with the order in his hand and Van Wise's husband okay. at his side. Well, that's the probably why they, they had success, though. That's probably why they okay. had success, right? Because okay. no petition was filed. <laughs> yeah. Because then they would be able to play that game saying, oh, look, we filed, we followed the, the Simon Says rules. Oh, man. Yeah. Imagine getting out because somebody didn't, you know, sign a document, folks. That, that's, all, that's all it means you know, to, to have freedom or not have freedom is whether or not somebody just, you know, filled out the proper form. That's such a fucking crazy idea to even think of that somebody would have that much power. And like, based on what that that's that that's the curious thing about this situation, right? Like, why was this person even thrown into that type of involuntary type of situation? Well, how is it that that a person who gets to wear a black robe is the one who gets to decide whether your family member gets uh, gets to be pulled off the plug or not? I yes, mean, because that, that nobody's going to ask based on gold. what. Nobody's going to ask based on what. Right? Besides critical people like us and people in our audience, but like you're going to find people that just. If they're reading a paper, like a local, you know, uh, like anybody reads a local newspaper anymore, but if they're reading online or if they see on Facebook that such and such has disappeared from the community and supposedly is crazy and a judge decided it, okay, they just go, yeah, yeah, that person must be crazy. Well, the and judge then they move so. on. The yeah, judge, the judge so. said so. Yeah, they don't look at what the parameters were for what the the judge's judgment was made from. You know, they don't they don't they, they've never allowed to really see the full evidence or the transcript like we were talking about of the court case so that they knew what you know what was presented to the judge at least in public, uh, let alone what was you know decided in private in judges' chambers and other things like that, of course. Um, so I mean, but even on the public record, you don't even get to see that part of it. In articles like this, they're not going to include those types of links and other things either, which is why it's tasked on people like us to do so. So, I mean, we, we try and expose as much of the information to the audience as possible. So, again, you can make your own you know, discernments of what's real and what's not. Don't let me tell you. But it said that um, in the elevator, I guess they bumped into a nurse from his unit that said, I'm glad he's getting out. The nurse said, according to body camera footage obtained by NBC News, and don't repeat that, the nurse said. So, again, this shows like, the nurse working in that healthcare system knows that if she tells the truth, that if she acknowledges what reality is, is that she doesn't get to keep her job. She doesn't get to keep her nice job that maybe barely pays her bills, that keeps her children potentially fed, um, and maybe going to a school where they're not going to get fucking shivved, uh, going from class to class. You know, I mean, and maybe she doesn't want to, you know, give that up. She doesn't want to give that up for this guy to be free. Why would she? What's in it for her? And that, that's the type of system that we live in, too. I mean, you don't think the medical system was abused like that during COVID, folks? 
You don't think the people went there every day knowing that the, the ventilators that they hook people up to is going to fucking murder them? Okay, so here we go again. So. Just following <laughs> orders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, where does it, where does the liability end, you know, for the people involved and how, and how many links down the chain do you go to for when it comes to that, you know, who's liable, you know, the, the nurse that's keeping you strapped to the bed and having them pump drugs into you after you've been kidnapped from your family and you're in a mental institution when you shouldn't be is nurse ratchet there. Is she a good guy or a bad guy? You know, like that's, that's. Yeah, again, that's that's like sort of a false dichotomy. But you know, what what side does it lean towards, though? Like, is are you a good guy by following the rules that you know the the hospital expects you to follow? You know, are you a good guy for following the orders that the commanding you know doctor, or officer, or whatever tells you I mean, to do? Think about this: that the only reason why this guy was able to get out is because because they effed up. From following procedures. I mean, really, this is like. So if they would have done it by the book, we probably would never have been talking about them, right? Uh, uh, that shows yeah. you that the rules, as they're followed, though, <laughs> you know, the, the the correct way, <laughs> yeah, in quotes, that if you follow the rules the correct way, and folks, hey, this is a this is an alternative, you know, sort of couple for you too. I mean, you know, that we're that we're talking about here. Um, I suppose that I'm, might have been helpful too. I guess well, so. and and hey, look at all the amount of advocates and uh, you know straight I mean, up. Think, think about that. I mean, it, it, see when you shine the light, right? Well, um, that, and look at how know. that look at how that community can be abused by that. Look at how that community could easily be targeted and abused by that because they're an other type of community, because predators that know the people that are in situations like that, especially because they've rather been abused or they have something that happened to them as a kid or whatever else. I mean, why the hell else are they seeking psychological treatment? Maybe, you know, that, that, that in that community, especially um, when you talk about the rate of drug use and the, the, the rate of uh, just sleeping around and, and just like not having any type of consistency in life. Um, I've had friends that have suffered through that experience in this community uh, that we're speaking about here. Now, that doesn't apply to all, of course. Um, I don't know exactly what makes this person tick or why they were thrown into a mental institution um, or why they even sought help. It doesn't really detail that. But just knowing that that's a, a, a type of community that can be taken advantage of because they've been a victimized community. I mean, come on. I mean, when you're isolated in a way, just naturally like that, let alone having other people like tell you what your identity is supposed to mean, what it means to be gay, what it means to marry a man necessarily too, like being asserted in, into your life and what those responsibilities are. Like maybe you can't make those things make sense. Maybe you're still struggling with that. You know what I'm thinking from, from this article? It seems to be that this guy, you know, went to counseling mm -hmm. and 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 the and the uh, medical provider decided I'm gonna I'm gonna uh pink slip him. Wow. Yeah. And and just you know, talking about talking about these victimized groups and why they keep honing in on them, why they keep pushing trans kids and 
all this other bullshit and pop media and why every big company in the world is latching onto it? Because they're a cash cow. Yes. Those demographics are yearning for something that's for them. They're yearning for something that's their music and their movie and their Academy Award and everything else because they've conditioned us for that stuff. They, they treat us like in different groups of chimps in the zoo, you know, and we're all competing against, you know, each other to see who gets the most bananas at the end of the day. And that's really what it is when it comes down to like the identity politics of it to me is that, you know, you have a, a, a much larger third party involved that decides who these groups are and who gets favor, who gets the airtime, wh whose grievances matter more. And then if you focus in on, on, on the, the, the culture of those people too and what's broken there because you'll find it in every culture trust me <laughs> um, but when you hone in on that stuff um, you can really manipulate and control people you can get them to vote a specific way you can get them to feel a certain way about certain ideo ideologies and other people you can even put them at war with one another you can you can fragment them and you can also make them crazy because like what's real and what's not whenever it comes to that anymore. Like if you're a lesbian and you like women, but now women can have penises, what the hell's a lesbian? Like that's that's another topic that's been discussed, you know, in the past several months is that you're seeing that people from these gay communities coming out and saying, "Well, what does this even mean anymore?" Like they're finding that, you know, when when the the rub as as they they call it was applied to their little particular group when it was their time in the sun to be like the the victim that everybody wanted to get behind and lift up in culture and society that when they had that moment in the and the system was on their side everything was looking bright and and great and then they saw the that power walk over to another group and and pull those same moves with them it's like watching a pickup artist pick up on another girl you know, it's just like you, you got passed through, you know, you got the couple lines and you're just like, ah, move on, buddy. And then you see him go over and say the same shit to somebody else. You're like, oh, you're just out here playing. You're just out here being a player. That's what you're doing. I mean, that's what, that's what I think that they do to these groups. And I think that they do it to mentally sick people. I think there's lots of shit, you know, that people go through in their life where they probably need to reach out to somebody. You know, but the institutions that we have in place, like, and the rules that we have in place, the way that, that it, our, our systems here when it comes to mental health in our country and the way that they're governed, do they benefit the, uh, the subject, the victim, the whomever in this case? Or is it, bunch of, is it just a bunch of CYA, Lisa? Is it just a bunch of like the, the institutions and people and companies covering their ass? To make sure that they're not really liable for anything, that they decide like what you have rights to and what you don't, what information you can see and what you can't, um, even how much time you get to spend outside or with people or with other stimuli and not just sitting in a room on dope. I mean, it's it's pretty fucking insane when it gets to the level of them being able to just take you, take you away from your life and your family. Right. And that is why transparency is so crucial. I mean... <sighs> Well, and the ultimate way to fucking mind control too. Like, are, are there no other more susceptible or vulnerable people than people that are on a, let's just call it a spectrum of different mental illnesses that they couldn't round up 
to experiment on in these situations? Do you think that they have all their shit down concrete in psychiatry, folks? You think that they go through these treatments where like, yeah, we just give him 500 milligrams of this. And after a couple of days, you slap on the ass and he's, he'll be just fine. You know, <laughs> like, like well, they don't, they don't have those kind of solutions. Who's going to believe them, right? I mean, that's what they count on is that, yeah. that they can gaslight. It could be as woo-woo as anything that you would see in a fucking crystal shop, right? It could be just like, well, I, th I think that it's the, the ancient spirits that this person had experienced throughout their life, or maybe it was past you know, life traumas and stuff. It was, it, was, it was their childhood manipulated. There's been waves of psychology that talked about that. Um, there's waves of psychology that talk about you know anything from the childhood traumas to uh, your sexualization as you were a child. I mean, all of the... I mean. When you, when you see somebody that's like a little bit OCD, like myself, do you say that they're anal, right? That's related to like an anal stage, apparently, that they're supposed to be in development. Even the concept and idea of human development is shaped and molded in people's minds by these theories. And they're very loose theories. Like when you look at what actually proves these theories and you find out that most of them are super subjective and in fact fall apart logically, how do they fucking... How, how do they treat people, right? Like you, they don't just go in and run a battery of tests on you where they find out that you're missing a certain enzyme or protein in your blood or, you know, other things like that, like in other forms of Western medicine. Not that that's, you know, a, a, a panacea either. We know that. But at least they got something on paper to show you. When you go into a psychiatrist and you tell them that you want to kill yourself, what the fuck are they going to do? They're going to be like, okay, I believe you. Um, fill out this form and here, maybe, maybe we'll put you on some pills or maybe we'll just, you know, we'll let you spend some time for the next 72 hours here and, and see how you feel after that. And as shown by the article, um, uh, the attorney general's office doesn't want to get down to the, to the, uh, bottom of it either because, you know, they're paying out a settlement. So, you know, well, do you think an attorney general, which is a political position, right? wants to expose corruption within the the, the field of med medical uh and psychology like mean, right right and because because the very means and what the mode that they use to harass people hmm. yeah you'd be giving up the gimmick right you'd be telling everybody yeah it's it's really it's it's really uh uh, tugboat under the shockmaster mask, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you're just really giving it up too easily there. Um, cause th then they would have to present something. And I, this mean, is really, I mean, think about this. It says Northwest medical center. It's okay. It says in April, the hospital agreed to pay 1.1 million in the settlement with the Arkansas attorney general's office. I mean, well, so like that. Okay. Oh, that's all. Okay. As long as you get the a million dollar settlement, everything's okay northwest medical center could not provide sufficient documentation that justified the hospitalization of 246 patients so oh that's a, all right so you know so uh 1.1 million to the attorney general's office that cuts the mustard oh everything's okay now <laughs> 246 patients 246 lives potentially ruined and it's all and it's just and it's okay. I mean, because they couldn't provide sufficient documentation, so it just ends there. Oh, well, all right. Well, and look, and look what solves the the problem. But a little bit of 
fancy looking hush money. What's that 1.1 million divided up by 246, folks? Yeah, who got oh, math genius here? After lawyers, get... after the lawyers cut. <laughs> no, hey, no, no. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That was oh, correct paid. me, please. Yeah, I think I lost that, that. Yeah, that was paid to the freaking AG's office. So if you think any of that went to any of the real victims, yeah, when pigs fly. So they paid a penalty to the government, basically. Um, how much money did they make off the institutionalization of 246 patients? Oh boy, wouldn't yeah, somebody like to open up right? those books? Right. Yeah, that's exactly where where the money laundering comes in with the Medicaid. Yeah. How much does one Zoloff cost in the institutions? You know, is it is it like the hammers in NASA? <laughs> you know. Or it's just like, oh, this one little pill that we're going to put you on every eight hours or something like that to dope you up. We're going to charge like $2,000 for it. See if anybody cares. See oh, if anybody even you looks. Know what's hysterical? The yeah. guy, that psychiatrist, was chairman of the Ar Arkansas State Medical Board. Okay? You see how this all works? I wonder how such corrupt people get into such high places of office, Lisa. <laughs> I mean, yeah, geez. right, right. And what happens? What happens when you go after the the the, the boards themselves, right? Showing uh, criminal behavior. Oh, that too. I wonder how many other people, because you know, th there's going to be good people, folks. They're out there. I mean, hopefully that you know people that are listening to this still believe in some of that. Um, but I know after Q, it's a little rough for us, right? But uh, no, when it comes to like good people, not not just white hats, you know, and stuff like that, imaginary things. But real good people, like imagine the amount of good people that may have tried to prevent this and were prevented er, prevented from doing so by the system itself. You know, the people that tried to raise awareness of it, the people just like in these sex scandals that like we talked about with Jim Jordan, you know, the people that did know about it and speak up about it and try and blow the whistle on it and try and bring it to people's attention. But the people in power are so fucking corrupt that they did nothing about it and they sat on their hands. And Is that common? And how many common? of the nurses sat on their flipping hands? Yeah. And, and just like that, though, I mean, you pass that pass that beach ball on to the, the people now more or less in power in this instance. You know, so you take it out of the nurse's hands and you put it in the hands of this board. Does the board want to disrupt anything whenever it comes to the culture that they exist in? What pays their bills, Wait, the institutions that fund them and, and make them rich and powerful? And nothing criminal came of this either. And, and it says and, li and listen, he only resigned. Because the DEA executed a search warrant of his of his private practice. It should say as part of the settlement, the hospital denied any wrongdoing and got to keep all the money that they fucking made. Yep, 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 yep. That they got to keep all the money except for one point one million, which was probably what an, an ass hair compared to what they fucking made. Peanut yeah. a peanut gel. Because it doesn't even say, like, imagine the length of stay, too. I mean, 246 patients, that could be a lot. How long did they stay? Just the regular 72 hours? Or were they, like, you know, taken for a long period of time? No, it says sometimes weeks. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's disgusting. So fucking disgusting. It says, in quotes, we believe hospital personnel complied in all respects with Arkansas law. Yeah, maybe that's the problem. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Now, let's take a look at the law. <laughs> yeah. Should it always be assumed that because they did this, that they complied with the law, that they did something right, too? Like, I mean, 
I, I don't want to sound too much like an anarchist here, folks, but damn. I mean, when it comes to the law, like, is it always justified what the law does? No. Should you always follow it? Absolutely fucking not. Absolutely not. You should not follow laws that are that are not justified. Um, if it comes to imprisoning people against their will for shit that may not even exist. Um, if, if they were following all the rules on the books for that, it still makes it wrong. I mean, imagine if they actually had to indict him. Oh, then then it would really reveal everything, right? So no, we're not. So <laughs> you see how they deal with that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and of I course mean, he's not gonna. Of course, is, you think he's gonna blow the whistle on, on the uh, on the on the uh, actual government actors that are involved in this? Well, right? that's that'll that'll be a good transition into our next article. Well, I'll switch back to the panel for this, Lisa. I mean, isn't this where, like, if this did go criminal, wouldn't this immediately go plea deal? Because you know the the person looking at the charges would probably I mean any any rational person looking at it strategically would go well yeah this guy's buried um, after they do this and like these settlements and all the other stuff like if they wanted to press criminal charges if that were even a thing and that's why they're not pressing criminal charges though well yeah because there's a, if any type of trial any type of real trial would include how fucking corrupt the entire system was that allowed it. Like they get to just use this guy as a fall guy, keep the money and run, um, <laughs> you know, and, and along with it too, none of this law, none of this good stuff that was in practice by these hospital personnel has to even change. It's not even going to be looked at. It's not even going to be discussed or whether or not this should even be a thing, right? <laughs> I mean, is any after this? Is everybody just going to go? Oh, they caught one bad guy. They caught one bad apple. Was it that? Is it easy just to say that? Is it easy just to dismiss it and be like, ah, oh, it's just some psychiatrist trying to make bank on the side by doing this? Exactly what they call it, quote mm -hmm. unquote. Doctor Hyatt is a clear outlier. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just, just an isolated well, just, incident, just, folks. <laughs> just happen to be head of the freaking board, medical board. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right, just a rogue guy. Well, that's 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 uh, in a time where you can't necessarily plead ignorance to it. Then, right? Like, if you're that type of person where you've made it that far in that particular hierarchy, you can't tell, you know, other people with a straight face. I guess well, maybe anybody can in that in that uh, psychological position of these uh, psychopath people um, that that you didn't know that what you were doing wasn't up to code and it wasn't right. Like, is ignorance of the law any excuse for the rest of us, Lisa? <laughs> Could you put it on the guy yeah, that's part of a that board works. to say that he was he was ignorant <laughs> to how the, the process has actually worked and that's why there was no documentation like there should have been that busted this one guy out or something? Like, Or did he just get sloppy? <laughs> was he putting it on other people? Like, were there, was there a network of other people involved in this? And this is like, isn't this trafficking in a way? Da, 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 da. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know that's a popular term that's applied to a lot these days by certain people. Um, but you know, when we when we talk about actual human trafficking here, um, the government throwing you into an isolated room and getting to pump whatever type of drugs it it, it wants to in you, um, and making sure that you can't leave in a, a place, and also um making sure that you're isolated, uh, which is not good for your mental health in general but also having no communication with people outside 
um, of that place. I mean, unless they had you like on uh, like a, like a fucking railroad breaking rocks. That's the only other thing I could compare it to. Like when it comes to just like you being a human slave at that point, like you have no agency anymore. They took it all from you. And, and especially the mental aspect of it too, with the dope that they'll fucking shoot you up with. Like being, not just being locked in a room, but also not having your own wits about you and sanity and the same comprehension of things because of the stuff that they can put in your veins, willingly or unwillingly. And, and strapped down. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, folks, I mean, that's, uh, that's a place where we've talked to people that have that have lived through experiences like that, and it's really unnerving. Um, but you know, the the thing that I wanted to bring up in this episode, and as I go back to screen share here, um, this from the Rutherford Institute. This is from John Whitehead and uh, his commentary. It says, "Mental health roundups: the next phase of government's war on thought crimes." Like, if the government can present to you evidence of things that aren't real, and call you crazy when you point out the fact that they're obviously presenting fake evidence to you, not the whole story, they're not being forthright or truthful or transparent, what can their reaction be if you give them the power to say that you're no longer sane? Couldn't they just as easily, instead of debating you, instead of having to win an election... All you have to say is you don't trust the government. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, we're not too far from that. Um you know, when it comes down to it, it says that there are no dangerous thoughts. Thinking itself is a dangerous activity. That's from Hannah Arendt. But uh, a quote, and now it says, uh, get ready for the next phase of government's war on thought crimes, mental health roundups, and involuntary detentions under the guise of public health and safety. Wow. Didn't, didn't we live through something like that where they use that a lot to imprison us in various ways? You know, manipulate markets, uh, put people in power. Uh, strictly bill of their power, um, move money around, you know, those types of things. What says the government could use mental health care as a pretext for targeting and locking up dissidents, activists, and anyone unfortunate enough to be placed on a government watch list, which let's face it, I'm, we're, we're probably on that shit. Um, if we don't nip this in the bud and soon, it says, this will become yet another pretext by which government officials can violate the first and Fourth Amendments at will. Okay. This is how it begins, the claims. Let's now, see, here's the thing. Did this not become, this has been happening forever. Yes. Yes, it was happening in the Civil Rights era. It was happening in the anti-war era of World War I. It was happening, okay? We've, we've had people in our government that have been propagandizing us, controlling speech, controlling what we know, controlling our reality, controlling what was shared on radio waves, newspapers. I mean, if you go back to the history of yellow journalism and, and, and you look at you look at people like uh, uh, who, who fucking Citizen Kane was based off of. Um, oh, you yeah. Know, you, Great movie. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, just awesome movie. Definitely check out Citizen Kane if you haven't. Um, good classic. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to get a, a Don Jeffries review uh, maybe one day um, or watch along. But no, the um, the idea, though, of, of someone like uh, William Randolph Hearst being able to influence the Spanish-American War through the use of his newspapers, the idea that you can shape someone's belief and you can shape an entire nation 
the future of that nation based on who gets to live and who doesn't, who gets fed into the teeth of the war machine, and what who gets to come back from that alive to propagate, <laughs> to create more people, to continue their legacy. What type of shakeup does it make whenever you have people that are in a nation that has at least some type of freedom whenever it comes to economics, right? And you start to see a multiple faceted web of people in markets isolated from the government that are growing and prospering. And those people become more powerful. Well, how do you disrupt all of that? Well, you have an economic collapse because an, an, an economic collapse will just entitle the, the people that can survive it um, to gobble up whatever's left. You'll see that in the Great Depression era too. Um, but also, you have a war. I mean, it used to be, in at least in most of society, that men would want to pass down what they earned in their life to their son, to their, to their heir, their firstborn. You know, there's a reason why in the lyrics for Creeping Death, you know, they, they went after the firstborn sons in Egypt, right? Um, because it, it, what that damages is it damages wealth. It damages the ability to gain any actual traction or power, or wealth in this country. When you continuously take the poorer people that are becoming not so poor and putting them in front of machine guns and dropping mustard gas on them. And often forced into those situations too, mind you, by the industries that make money off of the weapons that are killing them too. That you're being forced into the position that you're in taking the bullet by the person manufacturing the bullet. That's how disgusting and corrupt that force of action is. Like that act of aggression of war, conscripting people, getting them to go and serve you, disrupts decades and generations of future people that may or may not exist today because of those actions. That's how powerful that is. Take all the money that you're going to make in your life. And then add 13 more of you that might be around if it weren't for war. How much, how much economic impact would that make on your locality, on where you live? Would it be a more prosperous place? Would we have more brilliant thinkers? Would we have more artists? Would we have more engineers? Would we be further along in, in humanity at this point if we didn't have to murder all those people on behalf of industry and banks? It's a staggering thought. Now, the other thing that's staggering is if you think like that, that the government entities that created those fucking horrors are allowed to decide whether or not you're a sane person or not, that they can come to your door and claim you like your property and force you into an institution just on the basis that you might be a threat to the stability of the nation, which is national security. So if you're shaking people up, if you're waking people up, you're getting people to notice what's really going on and asking questions. This is something that's always been coming for us. They used it in the civil rights era against Martin Luther King. They tried to convince him to kill himself. I mean, they've used this in MK Ultra, apparently. Um, they've used this type of uh, forced type of imprisonment and torture 
and every type of medieval and revolutionary and Bolshevik type of uh, political action um, that you can imagine too. Mental torture. I remember seeing uh, the movie Deer Hunter uh, for the first time, and that scene where they're in, in the, they're playing the Russian roulette, and uh, you know Robert Nier asks for two bullets, and you kind of like I figured out why as I'm looking around the room. I'm like, okay, I know why he's doing this, but also he's taking a chance on the fact that it's not going to kill him. But that type of scenario, that type of torture, wouldn't have existed. If it weren't for the aggression of our country, if it weren't for our state, and I know I'm talking about something from a movie, but there's plenty of other real instances that could be talked about when it comes to Vietnam. How do we treat the soldiers that are coming back from instances like that? Are we putting them on red flag lists? Thanks to people like fucking Matt Gates and others and Trump. Are we repaying our, our servicemen by, um, you know, not just, you know, potentially removing their firearms, but also um, removing other faculties from them by deeming them as mentally ill if they've carried out unspeakable crimes on behalf of their country and taking them away from their families. Again, removing a father, removing a figure, removing an economic unit from a family, keeping people desperate, keeping people that would opt to serve their country because it pays and it'll help them through college or give them advancement in, in society and upward mobility. And you take those thirsty people and what do you feed them? What do you give them? You give them stuff that makes them poisoned mentally, that disrupts their entire way of life, that shows them that humanity and humankind can be brutal and terrible and vengeful and disgusting. And then you send them back and you tell them that everything is like it is on fucking Mayberry? No. I don't believe that. And I haven't lived a, a single step in a person like that's life. So when it comes to what the government can do to us based on how we feel about what we've put our nation through, what we've uh, sort of groomed people into believing as well uh, of different identities of different victimization groups who becomes a threat who's threatening who who's harassing who those types of things i mean it says here in new york city you could find yourself forcibly hospitalized and subjected um, for suspected mental illness if you carry firmly held beliefs not congruent with cultural ideas Exhibit A, a willingness <laughs> a, to engage in meaningful discussion. Right? What a definition. <laughs> you have excess fears of specific stimuli or refuse voluntary treatment recommendations. So, just the, that word, that, that phrase itself, voluntary treatment recommendations. Well, if it's voluntary and you're recommending something to me, if what I think that you're recommending sucks, I can, I can tell you to shove it, right? But if you refuse that voluntary part of it, I guess the voluntary phase is over. So was it ever really voluntary to begin with? Or were you just telling me that, you know, I'm heavily suggesting that you do this or else I'm going to involuntarily force it on you? Was that really the threat the whole time? And what can those terms be? 
They could literally be anything. They could write anything that they want into that. Um, it says that these programs are ostensibly aimed at getting the homelessness off the streets, which if you look at the uh, market on houses right now and the cost of living, boy, you think that uh, the infrastructure uh, financially in this country doesn't have a shit ton to do with that? Also, when combined with advances in mass surveillance technologies, i.e., you know, our government and the things that they pay for to make military toys, you know, to go just like just like George Carlin would say, just go and play in the sand, play with our toys in the sand. You know, what were they doing with those toys for several decades, folks? They were sharpening them up to uh, come back and deal with us. Now, it also says uh, here too, artificial intelligence powered programs that can track people by their biometrics and behavior. And if you don't think that shit's already in place with oh plenty God. of institutions and everything around you. How many movies can you think of that uh, predicted that? Oh, yes. Movies, TV shows, novels, all of it. And and even music, and, you know, and, and people knew because it's not that they like saw it in a crystal ball or had maybe some sort of, you know, spiritual vision of it. Maybe they did. What the fuck do I know? But I think that people that think logically in a particular way, that think in stages, that think in steps, and allow their minds to go further than what's happening now or what may even happen in the near future, but take it a step beyond that. You know, uh, take it from a thirty thousand foot approach. You know, if you will, look further down the line. Um, that people can usually see or foresee where logically we're going to end up if we continue along this path. Like if you continue eating good and lifting weights, you're probably going to build some lean muscle. That's an easy thing to, to kind of understand. Now, if you do the opposite, like if you're more sedentary and you just eat nothing but straight up sugar, it's probably not going to benefit you. Those are easy things to discern. Well, if we keep giving the government the ability to decide who's crazy and isn't crazy, um, when are we all going to be crazy? How much can they get away with by just calling the opposition crazy? How easy is it? How, what, what, what is the, the cheap heat ratio there or quotient of that of being able to just call your opponent intellectually crazy? And therefore, you don't have to justify anything. You don't, certainly don't have to fucking prove anything. Um, as long as you can get enough people to agree that somebody is crazy, then they're crazy. And oh, in fact, let's just sit in probate and family court. <laughs> yeah. Well, that works with reality too, right? Like if you get enough people to agree that something is reality, if you get enough people to agree in the alternative media community, that aliens are real, then in an essence, they become real to people. They start to refer to them and think of them in, in, a, in a certain way in which they're real. That doesn't make them real. That doesn't make anything that the government tells us legit. That doesn't make any video or still that you ever saw of like a potential, you know, UFO or whatever the fuck that they're calling them now, some other term, um, anything like that. Anyone's testimony when it comes down to it, that doesn't make any of that shit real. But just like it, it it's real is, it is also a very subjective thing. You have, you have to look at objective reality. You have to look at the things that can be proven between groups. So you show like a particular, um, you know, video clip or something, you show it to a group of people and they all watch the same thing happen or even watch it in person, right? They'll agree maybe on what that reality is. What if you have someone that has an, an incongru incongruent uh, viewpoint though? 
somebody that doesn't see it that way. Like you see this on juries, right, Lisa? Just like I see it in MMA judging. <laughs> so it's got to happen all the time, at least with humans, that we don't always see it from the same angle. We don't always see the same shit happen. We don't have the same experiences. Like you can watch something and you can have two different people watch it and they'll come back to you with like a completely different description of maybe what that thing was. It's just a human element. It's something, it's, it's, it's intangible. It's something that we can't really con can control either. Like everyone's perception is slightly different. Now there are things that are just like, obviously if like uh, Godzilla took to Boston this afternoon, I'm not wishing that upon Boston. Don't, don't, don't freak out Boston. But if like Godzilla arrived, right. <laughs> and he's standing there at, in the harbor, you know, and he's like, yo, where's the lobster biscuit? Or something like that you know like he's just he came up from the ocean he wanted some lobster bisque and somebody was there and he got to observe godzilla standing there asking for this order um if you're the only person standing there talking to godzilla and you go to like the local restaurant you'd be like listen i'm gonna need a big bowl <laughs> and they're like how big really big <laughs> and they're like why and they're like i need to get i need to deliver lobster bisque to godzilla They'd probably look at you like you're fucking crazy, right? Now, if there were a shit ton of people observing this, like say there's like stadium stands there, like 60,000 people watch Godzilla arrive and he shows up and, you know, just then he asks for the bisque. Yeah, you might be getting a big bowl. Like if you can present it to enough people, and this is the crazy thing about some of like the bigger conspiracies that we talk about, this shit like, COVID and 9-11 and the JFK, you know, uh, assassination and those types of things, the moon landing, any, anything that's like a big public spectacle that we all watched. Well, we all watched it together. So that makes it real. Well, does it? <laughs> I mean, we all observed it, but that doesn't necessarily make it real, make it real. And in fact, in some cases, even in real life, even when you're not watching it on television together, even if you're all there in person, you still might get full. I mean, that's the essence of seeing a, a magician, right? Like when you go see somebody like a David Copperfield or a David Blaine or a Penn and Teller or any of those things, like you don't necessarily know. I mean, most people, I would assume, don't know how the, any of that shit works. You know, there's 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 shows about it sometimes, you know, but. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, the audience goes into it ignorant. They go into it with a blind faith, sort of, that the person's going to be presenting something to them that they know that isn't real. And wrestling is very much like and this, too. Want, and not wanting to know, by the way. Yes. The suspension or dis, you know, of, of belief. The, to be able to go into a fantasy type of situation and just put aside, like, if you're part of, like, a murder mystery dinner or something, that you know that the person next to you that was the guy that was murdered wasn't really murdered. You know, <laughs> sometimes, I mean, I, I think they've done like plays off of this though on uh, so like the CSI shows where somebody actually is murdered. Right. But, um, but you, you start doubting it. Like when you go to a haunted house, like, you know, that the guy in the, 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 the ski mask with the, uh, the chainsaw and stuff like that, you know, that there's probably no teeth. On, you hope that there's no teeth, teeth on the chainsaw, but still it's, it's, it's frightening when he jumps out in front of you with it. You know, like you assume that there's just certain things that just aren't real. Sometimes they are. Like in some of the more shocking things that we've seen, you know, covering, you know, on this show, a lot of the people that are watching it are just in disbelief, I think. 
And they're in disbelief so much because of so much that they see isn't real. And they acknowledge it all the time. Like when you watch, you know, great films and television shows that have all these crazy fucking special effects now and, you know, stuff, it's like Marvel superheroes that we grew up just, you know, fantasizing about coming, you know, into real life and what that would look like and what that would be like or something, you know, now it's more tangible because they have the technology to present it to us. Well, if they have that type of technology to entertain us, don't they have the same type of enter- like technology to deceive us in a way? Doesn't that make reality even more questionable? That things can look so real that we acknowledge that are unreal, that even our in our own reality, even when it's somebody in front of us, like being victimized or shot or something, that we would just stare at it through the lens of our camera and maybe watch that person you know leave this earth in a vicarious way because we don't know how else to react because of the way we're taught to behave the people won't even move or react to it or maybe even ignore it and then they'll go back to their unreal world and put on some reality tv show that's scripted It was funny because when I looked up the definition of reality, the third definition uh, in Britannica, I think, was uh, reality in the form of TV. And it had a longer definition than any of the other two. Oh, my God. No way. I mean, we're we're living in an era now, folks, where our reality is dictated by so much of what we experience through media. Um, the people that are boots on the ground and experiencing real life and going out and mixing it up with people and having culture and things of that nature and, and engaging with the culture. I think that, you know, our friends and, and listeners and the people that live lives like that add so much to the discussion because the rest of us are holed up somewhere experiencing it in other ways. So when we, when we do get to finally experience real life again and real life with one another, that if stranger things happen, like if the aliens do land, I, I might, I might not believe it. <laughs> you know, even if they landed in front of me, I'd be like, okay, this still might be a work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I maybe it's better to be skeptical of it like that. Maybe it's better to have that attitude when it comes to I, reality. I don't know. With all the congressional hearings, I'm thinking they're trying to prep us for for <laughs> for, for world war the worlds. 2.0 or a world war. I mean, if, if we looked at it from, you know, any perspective of getting somebody or something into, uh, into backing something as insane as a world war three, what would the stakes be? Could you claim that, uh, it's over an arms race for alien technology? That the superiority, like, can we even say with a straight face that that just like, there's no way that another superior military out there could possibly want to take us? You know, if you have such a superior technological advantage, you don't need numbers, right? Um, You don't even need money necessarily. It just depends on what that thing is. So if you can claim that the bad guys you know, have the alien tech and we need to go after it to save human, you know, humankind. Um, that, that sounds like a perfect hero's journey to some people. I think people would buy that. I think that, uh, you know, our, our ability or at least, um, stake even in that technology and controlling who has access to it. 
like we're still having the debate of whether or not people should have nuclear weapons. I watched a, a little uh, discussion, let me put it that way before I fucking throw up, uh, between RFK Jr. and Rabbi Shmuley, who I'll refer to as Rabbi Schmucky uh, from now on because the guy's a giant <laughs> fucking schmuck. I encourage everybody to go check it out. It's uh, yeah, RFK Jr. and Rabbi Shmuley Schmucky. Uh, I think it was in New York too, but somebody asked a brilliant question is like, well, why does uh, Israel, why does, why would Israel have access to nuclear weapons and say Iran wouldn't? And the, and the answer to the question uh, from Schmucky was that because Israel is a good country and Iran's a bad country. That's basically what he was saying. Yeah. Paraphrase a little bit. But if you look at it, that from like such a two dimensional angle, um, and RFK Jr. had no actual real response. Um, he like froze up for uh, maybe over a minute and then finally responded by just going into like trying to, you know, uh, trying to paint the picture as like, how do I how do I build up somebody as to being good enough to have a right to something? And he did it through victimization. He tried to show that, you know, the the Israeli people and all that they've suffered and what what happens in Palestine, the way that they train kids to, to be murderers and murder Jews. And then goes right on to uh, talk about how much he loves the militarization over there and the, all the people that serve. Well, you're, you're sending soldiers with U.S. backing into areas to kill brainwashed children then. And that's based on your own fucking description, RFK Jr. So if you're cheering that, can't get my fucking vote my fake vote or whatever it is these days and fuck you by the way and schmucky schmucky can definitely go fuck himself too but um now this last little one here um i wanted to bring this up this was from our friend chris graves um who donated this via uh links and uh this is from the bite this is going to be filed under what reality is reality because well they're doing it to us on the TV. They're doing it to us through entertainment, like we were just talking about, Lisa. Um, when it gets to this point where you're you're having sort of like a, a test group, let's call it. <laughs> like, is this not an experiment on live television, not just for the people participating in the experiment, but the people watching the experiment? Are they part of the experiment too? Because when they're showing it to all of us, engaging our reactions on it, are they not gathering information on how to better this technology? Are they not looking at things like our, our cultural reactions to this? If we, if we recoil in horror to this and tell them, how dare you do this? Don't you ever fucking do this again? Are they going to react differently? Maybe. Um, are they going to take note of that at least? Uh, more than likely. How, with this being shoved down our throats, this new technology of them being able to model reality for us and even deceive us with it. They can commercialize it, make it part of a TV show, and collect all of our metadata of how we react to it on it. Now, with that alone... I can't believe anybody would subject themselves to this. This is like outrageous. But if, if a television station... If a production company or you know any type of media company, right, like Netflix, well, look who's look who's tied in. Uh, look up uh, Susan Rice, Susan Rice and Netflix, I believe. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of other ties in with a company like that. 
And Lisa, you had a run in with Netflix back in the day. So, um, cowards. Yes. Yes. But if they have access to stuff like this, I mean, who's this, like who's feeding them this type of tech or ideas? Um, is it just them sitting around a boardroom going, you know, what would be fun. You know, if we just found an AI program or something that made deep fakes and you we know, showed it to couples thinking that they were cheating on each other and stuff like that, wouldn't that be funny? Should we, now, should we talk about mental illness? <laughs> right? Well, I mean, and People also... want to create this stuff? Yeah. Can you create a mass psychosis? I mean, can you create an invisible enemy? Can you create a, a war on something that isn't real? I think you can. I don't know if I have any past experiences from the past several years that taught me any lessons there, but I mean, I'll let you guys decide on that for yourselves too. But uh, oh, I see Harps in the chat too. Thank you for being here, Harps. Um, oh, he's got a lot to say too. Yeah. Shout out to the, everybody in the chat today. Uh, also, I see uh, a Gabby in there too. I don't know if I've seen you before, Gabby, but shout outs to you for being here too. Um, now with this, with this uh, little story though, the reason why I wanted to include this in the big four is, is that if they're presenting this to us through media, I don't think it's by accident. I also don't think that um, the fact that this is becoming a new format is going to be an accident, but also it really begs the question, if it's gotten to the point where like carnies and show business types are using the tech, what the fuck is the government really doing with it? Like how much more advanced is the DARPA version of this? How has this been used in foreign television? Let's say news broadcasts for people. Um, has this been used to spark revolutions, destroy governments? Has this been used to destroy groups and manipulate them? Um, has this been used to victimize people? Yeah. Through overthrow elections of those free and fair democratic countries, right? Just the, the, not the ones that vote, not the way that our government wants them to, or at least the banks that our government serves. But, um, I mean, you know what? I mean, think about this. This is really entertainment. I mean, well, I mean, we've long since just, you know, discussed here on the show that, you know, modern entertainment. And, you know, we, we, we talked about how Jerry Springer, who passed away uh, more recently, too, had a, a large effect in that of just bringing trash into modern culture, like bringing something that's like a social ill, like cheating and, and just gross shit and, and just like all, all kinds of social ills to be put on display so people can watch them and go, oh, at least I'm not that fucked up, right? Modern day Roman, you know. Yeah, Roman gladiators. Yeah, yeah, just in a in a different way. Um, usually with gross cheating and stuff like that, but um, and baby baby daddy drama and those types of deals. But I mean, this one when you talk about vice and like just like human you know, fallibility and vulnerability and, and things of that nature, like look at what they did here. Look at look at this treatment that they go through. It says, but just when you think reality TV can't stoop any lower, it does it yet again. To wit, in fresh new man-made horror, a Netflix reality show called Falso Amor, which translates to deep fake love, splits five real-life couples into two different houses. So you isolate people. You create a captive audience, like your children in school, right? 
or you at work, which translate. Uh, so now you have that isolated uh, group says adds a bunch of hot singles to the mix. All right. So then you introduce the stimuli. Sound like an experiment yet? And then subjects individuals to the experience of watching their partner cheat on them in videos that may or may not be deepfaked. Okay. You know what this is? This is just taking uh, the bachelor and bachelorette to uh, just, you know, another level. Or it's just the ultimate cuckolding weekend. I, I don't, I mean, like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, I guess if you're the type of guy that just like, likes to watch, you, you, you know, your wife being taken advantage of or something like that, maybe this is like an easy show to sign up for or something. But um, I couldn't imagine somebody pitching um, someone like me this concept. Like, oh, we're going to take you and your significant other. We're going to throw you in a scenario where, you know, we're going to try and get them to cheat on you. And if they and, do, and you're going to sit winner, and watch the video of it. And all you get is $100,000 after all that? That's a little I mean, cheesy. $100,000. That, that, that doesn't really. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't it be really? whoever wants to be sexually and emotionally, you know, traumatized? You know, somebody that wants to suffer the indignity of being like a bitched out on, on, fucking television worldwide television netflix television that you you want to you want everybody in the world to know that your significant other just upped and you know bones somebody else uh, is, is, wouldn't that destroy and someone you're not even guaranteed the money though i mean it's a it's a it's actually a contest <laughs> yeah and, and what are the long-term liabilities? Like, what if these, what if these couples, like, I mean, you, you know how many crimes of passion happen because of instances like this, you know, how many people that are serving life sentences because they came home and Tom, Dick and Harry was in something else, Harry, um, you know, that, <laughs> I mean, are you, are you also pushing people into self-harm? Like I, I got plenty of friends that are pretty busted up. Pretty busted up and for a homicide. long fucking time, you know, and after homicide. finding out that their spouse or whomever wasn't faithful to them. Right. But not but just so watch calm. But not yes. just so calm. Homicide too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you think and you think too that uh the public's gonna be gentle about it. You know, that you're standing in line at the at the coffee shop and somebody recognizes you from the show and they know that you, you know, that your ex now uh was basically spit roasted on Netflix. That 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 that's gonna that's gonna be you're gonna be that guy that's gonna be your 15 minutes of fame, fuck. <laughs> I mean that, that's that's a rough life, man. That we we see people that take take liberties with themselves and others for a lot less. So it just seems like a, this is a path. This is a path to destruction. I mean, if there's one thing that really you know messes with people's you know world and their worldview and their view of themselves and their self worth. Is it not like that trust between them and their, their significant other, you know, their spouse, their wife, their husband, you know, you, you violate that. You have very little left after that to believe in. Like for someone like me that, you know, I was, I was in a relationship before where I walked away from it because of shit similar to this, that just like how I felt about myself and my own self-worth for a long time was greatly affected by that. It took a lot of self-treatment a lot of self-realization through my crazy Mr. Magoo type luck sometimes to live through the situations that I put myself in to find out the, the, what I was doing to myself and why. Not everybody gets that fucking chance. Not everybody gets like even more than a couple minutes or a couple hours 
after experiencing something like that before they do something that's going to affect the rest of their life, if not take their life. Like, it's just, it's horrifying to me that this is our entertainment. I mean, I'd rather see fucking gladiators. At least we can make that more of a fair fight. You're trying to deceive people openly. And you're getting other people watching this. Not just like in the way that it could be entertaining. It's just like watching other people like, you know, have a storyline, you know, that can go either way. And it's just not just that. Just pure degradation. I mean. Well, and yes. And degrading their ability to discern what reality is. Because they're they're going to show you deep fakes that maybe you buy it too. Maybe you're texting your friends, you know, and then maybe they'll do the the gimmick with the commercials that way of just like they'll show the video and then they'll have that pause for commercial. Well, they'll, they'll maybe they'll pull the public too. What is it? Is it real or fake? You know, get that participation in there too, right? So then you get people involved in the in the gimmick of oh maybe that is real, maybe this, and they're looking at it and they're trying to find all the different flaws in it if there is so. Talk about conditioning. Well, and uh, you're kind of shopping it. You're shopping the technology. You're seeing how real it is because people are going to point out where all the different fake parts is. Like if I show you a video with a bunch of like digital artifacting and blurs and shit and that type of nature of it, people appearing and disappearing, stuff that looks obviously doctored, you're going to point that, they're going to point that out if you're critical of the work. Like if you're paying attention in that way, like people pay attention to the stimuli in different ways too. So you know, but if you're not wrapped up in like the the boohoo story of the guy whose wife is cheating on him or something like that, maybe maybe you're wrapped up in the fact of like, can I tell if this shit is real or not? And maybe we can. Like if we've gotten to that point too, well, we can show convincing videos of people. And now these are people that we don't know or have contact with, you know, for the most part. You know, so the person on the Netflix show that you might be watching in this, you know, that you you don't know them and know their situation. So you're taking for granted what's been explained to you that these people are in a real relationship. This is a real scenario, right? Maybe it isn't. But in the end, if they're showing you AI cooked stuff like this and we can't tell what the real videos are and which ones are the fakes, boy. Should we just substitute this for J6 or what? Well, yeah. Exactly. I mean, other you know, speaking of other control groups of uh, one of many of the past several years, right? Um, that they make the public the control group, that they no longer test it, that this is no longer something that's just being you know practiced in universities and experiments like Stanford Prison Experiment and other things like that. That now it's out there in the real world. Now the Milgram experiment is placed on all of us. Now this experiment with AI is is placed in our lap. It's it's part of our entertainment now. It's part of our culture now. It's that it's that accepted and it's that advanced to the point where the the stuff that could be used for more meaningful purposes, such as destabilizing entire nations, maybe, um, or even controlling who we think really won the election. Um, what what videos we saw of that, like speaking of January 6th. Like, what if the the videos that we saw that were presented to us, um, say in uh, two thousand mules, weren't real? What if those were deepfakes? What if the information that was presented to us just in general about people's, um, uh, you know, attendance and other things for like uh, Biden? What if what if that wasn't real? I mean, when it, when you talk about somebody that couldn't fill a parking lot. 
winning more votes than anybody on the planet ever. <laughs> like for America, at least. I mean, how does that, how do you convince people that that was real? I still don't get that part. I don't even get past how we move past that shit. And that's just, that's just numbers. That's just video. That's not AI, is it? That's not a fake reality. That's not, that's not a scenario that was cooked up somewhere by something or someone where they thought that that was the easiest way to manipulate us going into these next few years leading up to 2030 or whatever they plan on there. Um, so, I mean, Lisa, what are your uh, final takeaways for this episode that you want people to have? Wow. This was this was <laughs> this was mind numbing, man. Yeah. Whew. Uh, I guess uh, I'm hoping that people really take to heart about critical thinking, and uh, seriously, seriously questioning reality. Yeah. And question the reality that's presented to you. That's the thing. Like, I mean, as as I walked, you know, through the rain the other day, and I didn't question that the rain was real. Now, you can question why it's raining, though. Um, <laughs> you know, could there be something in Antarctica? Uh, could there be uh, a heart machine of sorts that controls that? Potentially. Yeah. Could they be seeding clouds? Does that really happen? Mm. Interesting thought. But I didn't question the water as it hit my skin. Um, I didn't question the earth underneath my foot. You know, I, I trusted that every step that I took on my path was, you know, when I put my foot in front of me, that that earth would still be there. How far can that bending of reality go before we lose our grip on what's tangible? Because when you start to introduce this into real life, when you take it off of movie screens and Netflix shows, and you put it in front of you and all around you, how much could you bend? And how do they get you into that? And don't think that this shit can't happen to you or your family. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if we're talking, Har Harps chimes and birds aren't real. Thank you, Harps. <laughs> of, all of, of all the places to observe birds too, from the uh, Australian perspective, I think we could trust them with that, right? Um, but no, um, when it comes down to the tangibility factor though, like you said, with um, the way that the state handles these cases with guardianship and other things and mental illness and CPS in the home, um, drug abuse, um, histories of depression, all these other things, we should question how we're going about this and who we give power to, as we always should. But then also in that same respect, on the flip side of what's offered to us instead of the protections that are offered by government, the conveniences and protections and medical advancements that are offered by quote unquote private companies and organizations. And the, and the importance of calling out wrongdoing, even when it's not happening to you. Well, and I'm less likely Lisa to question my walking down my path and whether or not the next step that I take is going to be on earth or not. But if I have a chip in my body or in my brain, for instance, say like a neural link type of thing, and I've had my reality bent and shaped and taken away from me and manipulated by another entity that shows me that what I can now see 
and feel and experience can now be unreal. That I should doubt the fact that I'm taking that next step. I should doubt the fact that the wall next to me is real, that I can lean on it. Or that the cup that I'm holding in my hand is there and I'm actually drinking water from it. If that experience goes away, that makes us entirely hopeless, in my opinion, of ever discerning what's real or not. If we give somebody that much access to power over our senses, to be able to tell in our day-to-day lives away from media and away from the experiences of, you know, through our screens and that vicarious life, but when we're actually physically living it, if you can't tell that it's real at that point, who's crazy? Can it make you crazy? Like if you took somebody and you started warping their reality, maybe started drugging them. It doesn't have to be an implant. Could you be given a substance that could make you, let's say, hallucinate? Or think that you're in an alternate reality or in a dream? Yeah, <laughs> I'd say so. I haven't experienced all of them. But um, no, I've, I've, heard, I've heard stories. I mean, could, how can we get there? I mean, it could be through mass medication, mass manipulation, um, and all sorts of other technologies potentially too. Involuntary commitments. Yeah. And all things seen and unseen. So, I mean, that's not a, it's not a very uplifting way to end an episode, Lisa, but <laughs> I, I, I know we got to, we, <laughs> I, I, I will still contend. And as I put it in the monologue that having you all here today and having you here, Lisa, to discuss this stuff with you help assure me of my reality. You help assure me that the things that I experience in real life and the things that I, I think about. And the things that I, I want to express here on the show, that, that that makes it more real. Whether if it is or not, I always want people to question that. I would like people to take, you know, what I say, you know, with a grain of salt and and the things that we talk about and explore them more on their own time in their own real world and apply their own real experiences and their own real knowledge of those things. And then bring them back to us next week and we'll talk about it some more. Because that's the only way that I think that we can put a stake in the ground and claim that we know what's real is that if we all get on you know, that, that same objective page, that same logical page of how to break something down to discern whether it's real or not. Looking at who's controlling the information, where it comes from, who's in power, who stands to gain, who stands to lose, where the fucking money is going. But ultimately, what does this do tangibly and intangibly to the individual? It always comes down to us. And sometimes that us is the victims. Sometimes us is the people that need help, that need psychological treatment, maybe. That maybe need to be on some pills. I'm not faulting those people. But I'm certainly here to help them. So until we meet again, and until we are free, we are the new prisoners. <laughs>